Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. I quite like it when it's sort of dark in the studio because everything looks it looks a bit more, more technical. Pretty, you like it? I'd very much. Wait a minute. Hang on. Wait a minute. V- very much. This is, uh, this this is, is, the, this is stunning. The fa- Father <laughs> Christmas in like a, an old-fashioned lantern with, with glitter that is swirling around him. And because it's got lights above it, the glitter twinkles even and better. that glitter is going at a fair old clip, It does it? go at a fair isn't old it? clip, doesn't it? Isn't it look pretty? Isn't it? I can have this. Yes, you can have oh, it. Thank yes, you, Steve. Absolutely. Seriously. Thing. Right. No, I, I sort of... I tend to buy things, and then I sort of... And I, I sort of play with it for a little while, and then I, re, I re-gift... Well, I'll be playing with this in March. I've, so I've, this is, no, I doubt. This is not just for Christmas. Because I didn't know that it actually... Excuse us here. Sorry, we're just chatting among ourselves. Yes, I didn't know when I bought it, because they, they had one in the, in the garden centre, and I didn't know that the glitter swirled around. I thought you just turn it upside down like a snow globe. Yes. But I've got a snow globe at home which does the same thing, and that, the glitter swirls around. And I've got an even better one, an even better one, which is... A, you can actually hear it. Yes, you, you can the, hear it, yeah. That's the glitter. That's the little fan, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But I've got a really super one, which is a toy shop, the front of a toy shop, done in alabaster or whatever it is, with toys in the window, and two little kids kneeling in front of the window, looking in. And when you push the button, the toy shop window lights up, and all the glitter gets swirled around again. So it looks like it's snowing. And then when you turn the thing round, you're inside the toy shop, looking out. So the theme is swirling glitter. Swirling glitter this year. But it's so pretty, isn't it? It is, it is. I presume you're going to the airport now, aren't you? I am, so that's going to sit in my car for a couple of days. Yes, oh, that's all right. Pride of place. Turn it off underneath. Yeah, yeah. do that now. And then uh, there's just a little switch there. Oh, there you go. There you go. And now, look at that. Well, we, happy Christmas. We willy winky, as they say. Indeed. It's I only mean, a rumour. They say it too often, really. <laughs> they do. I know. Oh, the producer's oh, yeah. gone mad for it. You, you know why? Because his mother wants one. <laughs> look, look at that. I mean, this is outrageous, honestly. <laughs> I think it's made by a company called Condé Nast. K. Con- Condé Nast. It's pretty, isn't it? It is. I'm just seeing who's made it. Condé Nast. Swedish company. Swedish. From Sweden. Yes, yeah, from Sweden. They, they do the um, lights and all sorts of little things. Pretty though, isn't it? Fantastic. Put it in the Thank car. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Can you turn my lights up, please? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here in the dark. Oh, no, no, off. no, that's no, off. that would be off. A <laughs> <laughs> little, bit, little bit better. They go brighter than that, or is that it? Perhaps they go brighter than that. We'll find out in a moment. Anyway, hello. I'm so sorry. We always start the programme somewhat bizarrely. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to sort of, you know, be a professional presenter and get sort of right into it. But uh, occasionally you sort of, you think to yourself, oh, does it really matter? Come on, it's Friday. Friday, it's cold out there, it's miserable, it's uh, not as cold as it has been, I didn't think, but there again, I've got a new scarf, and uh, and now I've got two new hats as well, from Blatant, uh, which is lovely, actually. One is a beanie hat, I've never worn a beanie hat before, and I'm not too sure whether beanie hats suit me, so I might have to uh, put that to the test a little bit later on. Uh, apart from that, um, it's your pilot falling asleep at 38,000 feet. You know that plane that crashed in Colombia? They were saying that it might have actually crashed or it might have run out of fuel. Either way, there weren't many survivors on it at all. Uh, Farewell Manuel, the king of crap pot comedy, has died at the age of 86. It's been a horrendous four years for his his wife. I hate the term widow. I hate the term widow. I really do. I'm sort of very anti that. I still like to call somebody, you know, his wife. And um, and she says it's been, been very difficult for four years. He's not been able to speak. Terrible. Uh, the other one, vegan. 
After Nick Ferrari called vegans crackpots yesterday, or loonies, I think was the expression. This is after the Nick Ferrari ate a fiver on air. Seems a terrible waste of money to me, but uh, but he did. And uh, bonkers Sarah Ferguson and her crackpot diet. I mean, nobody ever said the woman was intelligent, but frankly, the uh, you can lead her down any old alley and she'll swallow any old rubbish, won't she, really? Uh, the Victoria's Secret has gone seedy. It's gone from saucy to tawdry. And in fact, Jan Moyer... It's dark in here, isn't it? Yes. Because I don't think we've got the lights up. In fact, we haven't actually got them all on. Have to light a tallow candle, won't we, ladies and gentlemen? We like a tallow candle on this programme. <laughs> like any sort of candle, really. And we've got the papers, but we don't have a copy of the mirror. So I've got no idea why um, we don't have a copy of the mirror, unless they're running a story that I'm not aware of today. Uh, also, the fiddling violinist who faked cancer. Uh, she said, oh, I'm, I, was, I so want to be famous as a violinist. Well, you know, just famous as a fraudster, to the tune of £360,000. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, my favourite story is the whiplash con men. They, uh, they claimed they had whiplash. They were just a pair of old uh, trier honours. Unfortunately for them, it's backfired spectacularly because they were caught playing rugby on television. <laughs> Somebody saw them and went, wait a minute, they can't have whiplash, they're playing rugby. They got fined £20,000. Yes! Result. I like that. Um, former Vaudely Q, uh, Carol, in a quarter of a million pound deal. He's become the bottom of a, of a dating website. Uh, the naughty people at Saga, how, according to Kevin McKenzie, cheated one old lady. She could have got her insurance and did much, much cheaper elsewhere. He thought Saga would be looking after the elderly, but uh, apparently not in this case. And plus... Desperate times, desperate measures. Little Lydia Dim. Remember Lydia Dim? This is, you know, because I like designer. And, uh, you know, used to go out with Arge. And then we finished. And then we got back together again. And then we finished. And then we got back together again. And then, then I said, never again. I said, never again, Arge, because he did cocaine. And the cocaine, not very nice. And so I said, never again. And then I slept with him. And uh, she's so desperate now for some sort of attention that she's going on the jump. And you know it has a history of, of sort of disabling people. They either sort of suffer sort of broken legs or limbs and everything else. But I'm sure that Lydia, being the intelligent person she is... Because it was funny, because Arch also went on the jump, didn't he? <laughs> and then jumped her, which was good. Uh, the police are flooded with football abuse claims. 360 now. 360. Not so good. And uh, this year's Christmas tree at Tate Britain is another upside down tree. It's another upside I mean I don't quite understand it. They must be taking the mickey out of us or something because then uh, after they did it the other year um, John Lewis looks like being on a sunbed now uh, John Lewis sold an upside down Christmas tree. I mean what complete idiots went for an upside down Christmas tree because it featured at Tate Modern now Tate Britain have got one upside down. Oh it, yeah it's lovely but I'm now getting a tan in here it was just an upside-down Christmas tree. Do you think they'd just go, let's see whether we can have a good old laugh at the public's expense? Because it's been done before, so Tate Britain are way behind on this one. It was done, oh, it must be ten years ago at Tate Modern. So now Tate Britain have done it. And it's just a tree hanging upside down. It's stupid. I mean, it's like, I remember, was it Tate, Tate Modern who also... Tate Modern, Tate Britain, which one was it? They, they bought a pile of bricks. Do you remember? They bought a pile of bricks and they were just put out on the floor. And I thought, you know, sometimes art is just ridiculous. It's like Tracy Emin and her unmade bed. I mean, this studio is an art installation, you know, for those pretentious prats out there who think that this is, you know, it's like, you know, you sort of, I never understood cubism. 
or sort of modern art or something. I just understand it. If it's a picture of something I can recognise. Look, bowl of flowers, not some splodges. Not interested in that. The bricks were at Tate Britain. They're now at Tate Modern. Obviously, would you like our bricks? We're desperate to get rid of them. Oh, right, great. Um, and they're all numbered, and they put them in order. I mean, these artists must be having the biggest laugh of their time, mustn't they? It's like when you look at, you know, you look at fashion, and they've got the Paris fashion shows, and people sit there stony-faced on the front row, whereas, in fact, really, you want to sit there going, ah, you're having a laugh. Who's, who would wear that? Most of it's absolute trash. And people think, oh, that it's, it's called fashion because it's got the name of a fashion house on it. It must be OK. And you see people walking around and think, where do they wear that? The answer is, is that worn down Brixton Market on a Saturday morning? Now, of course it's not. It's not worn by anybody. They just put it out there, don't they? Because most people go out to Topshop or they go out to Next or they go out to Gap or they go somewhere like that or they pick up in the market. It's just ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. You know, you want to say, so what are you wearing, dear? It's called fashion. <laughs> no, it's not. It's called stupidity. It's like the Emperor's New Clothes, you know. The king is in the altogether, the altogether, because he was convinced of these new clothes. And that's unfortunately how dumb it's got now. It really has got uh, got bad. Uh, what else we got? Oh, the footy ace, John Stone. Remember, he um, allegedly cheated on his girlfriend with some girl who couldn't wait to sell the story to the newspaper and tell his girlfriend, so she really was the, the complete demon, you know footballer sleeps with woman who sells story. Really sad. But uh, he's got a tattoo of his sweetheart just days after he was accused of cheating. Do you think that's sort of... I did tell you the story, didn't I? And I know it happens a lot. And I can only repeat it because I know, because it was somebody I knew. So I'm not going to identify this person. But this this person was working but uh, and was married, but was having an affair. In fact, was having two affairs two different people who both worked within the company that this person worked for and he was having an affair with both of them the wife totally oblivious totally oblivious and so what happened was that uh, the wife found out about one of the women he was having an affair with uh, because people have affairs i can't help it that's what people do and um, and so in an in an effort to placate her he said listen i um I really love you and all the rest of it. And he got her pregnant. Well, of course, as anybody will tell you, when, when somebody's pregnant, they kind of go off sex a bit. So he took up with the girl again. And he was still going out with her. And she was blissfully unaware. Even when the child was born, he was still having the affair. So he basically had three on the go. And we all knew about it. Everybody who worked with him knew about it. But it was just sort of, it was one of those odd things you think, do you say something or do you not say something? And the answer is, you don't say anything, do you? Because you don't want to sort of spoil somebody's happiness. I think it's much easier that way, isn't it? Uh, Tom says, I've had uh, my blood test results regarding my thyroid. So it's uh, thyroxin, 300 milligrams a day for me. Seems quite high. It does seem a little bit high, actually. It does seem a little bit uh, high. 300. I think I'm doing about 150 milligrams split into three, or is it 200? Anyway, I can't remember. And then I heard a most peculiar phone call early on from somebody who quite clearly has got, let's just call them issues, shall we? who was talking about um, Richmond and saying how narrow-minded the people were there. I thought, what a buffoon. What a complete and utter buffoon. I live, I, I go to Richmond every day. Uh, the one thing we don't have, luckily, is people begging on the streets. We've managed to clear that little joke up, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we've had it a couple of times in, uh, in, uh, in Twickenham. But they actually managed managed to get rid of them off the street. We've had bogus collectors and everything else. But he was talking about oh the big houses and all this. He was obviously really jealous of anybody who'd got loads more than him. 
which roughly translated sounded like anybody who'd got a lollipop and he just had the stick. I've never heard such a sad person. It was really ridiculous. There are big houses. There's big houses round here. There's big houses in Notting Hill. There's big houses in Brixton. There's big houses in Islington. There's big houses just about everywhere. It was the saddest person I've ever heard, obviously coming to the end of his life and sort of getting to that stage where it's a case of life's dealt him a really bad hand and he was determined to make everybody suffer. He just seemed to dismiss people. Luckily, Darren put him in his place and said, you know, I wouldn't be saying these things about people. How do you know they're narrow? You don't, he doesn't know anybody. He doesn't know anybody at all. He was just very jealous that he didn't have anything to show for obviously a life of, uh, of incredible wastage. That's all it came to. I was listening to it thinking, this is just ridiculous, honestly. What a sad person. Uh, what else we have? Oh, yes, the, the thing that nobody at the BBC dares tell David Walliams. You're just not funny anymore. It's just not funny. You're going to see him loads of times every Christmas. He's doing blankety-blank, he's doing other things. It's a case of uh, we don't have anybody else funny. And so we're going to tell David Wellam that he's really funny. But in fact, the latest sketch show is just not funny. It's just not funny at all. Uh, Prince Harry and uh, his never-ending quest to bore the pants off everybody, uh, together with Rihanna, have done an AIDS test. Is that the first AIDS test you think he's ever done at the age of 32? Very unwise. Uh, and minus 10, the killer freeze set for the weekend. Ha <laughs> ha! It's rugby. It's, uh, who we got playing rugby? I think we got Australia. We don't mind if they freeze. Doesn't bother us in the slightest. And so the Australians will be freezing to death at Twickenham. Tomorrow there'll be loads and loads of them coming in. I shall be out first thing in the morning. Pootling down the motorway at 10 miles an hour because they've got speed restrictions in. Uh, emptying the boot of the car. And I'm determined to empty 99% of the boot of the car tomorrow. I'm seriously determined to. It's got to go. It's got to get, it's got everything in there, everything. In fact, I went out yesterday and bought some stuff, and I, the moment I bought it, I thought, that's going to my brother. And they're too beautifully decorated um, with Christmas scenes on tea light holders, but quite nice sizes, 10 quid each. I bought a couple of those, and I bought myself some scarves, and then I get my hats today. So, very pleased about that. And uh, who's going to be with us for in conversation? You'll find out a little bit later on this morning. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Nick Ferrari at breakfast, every weekday morning from 7, only on LBC. Coming up with Nick uh, this morning, uh, he'll be regurgitating the fibre from yesterday, no doubt. Uh, he'll react to the shock result from the Richmond Park by-election as the Lib Dems' Sarah Olney dramatically beats the incumbent Zach Goldsmith. Nick will be discussing what it means for Brexit and the expansion of Heathrow Airport. And then I heard some ridiculous thing on the television. Poor old, um, um, who... No, who's the... Yeah, she was on the same programme. Diane Abbott was on there. She's obviously got some huge chip on her shoulder. She, because she was saying about Zach Goldsmith, she said, oh, but he's, he's a millionaire, so he doesn't need to worry about it. He'll just walk away from it. And I thought, what's that got to do with it? You sent your child to private school, dear. Don't sit there and start preaching to us about it. You've obviously got some big chip on your shoulder about people who've got money. Bit like you, eh, Diane? You'll also look ahead to a weekend of vital votes. I'm sorry I went all political then, just briefly. Uh, in both Italy and Austria, and react to the news that the French president, Francois Hollande, will step down next year. He said he doesn't want to do another term. Is Europe on the brink of financial disaster and political turmoil? Plus, Nick will find out what Tony Blair is hoping to achieve when he launches a brand new political institute for those in the centre ground. God, they said he was going to come back, wasn't it, really? Uh, all with Nick Ferrari at seven this morning on LBC after that... Uh, very good Steve Allen. You must listen to the programme. Honestly, I've heard it a few times. He's very good, you know. He's very, well, some days he's good. Some other days he's not particularly brilliant. But, I mean, at least he muddles through. At least he is consistently muddling. That would be the thing that he's actually good at. He, he consistently waffles. You know, people... I mean, sorry? 
A solid 7 out of 10 for, for even trying. As Liberace said, he said, sometimes when I look at myself, he said, I can't quite believe what I'm doing. And, and I have exactly the same reaction. Sometimes if I listen back to little bits of my programme, which I try not to listen back to, because what would be the point of listening back to yourself? That would be called egotistical, and I don't do egotistical. I don't want to listen to any of my shows. It's a radio programme. You've done it. It's finished. It's gone. And uh, you move on to other things. But, uh, I mean, sometimes even I can't believe what I'm talking about. Uh, poor old Bill... Uh, is up in Scotland, poor thing. He says, I listen to you most mornings. What he means is I listen to you all the time, and I just don't want to tell you that. And uh, it says, today, you mentioned how cold it was in London, and we're concerned about what it was like in Scotland. Oh, well, I know what it's like in Scotland. I've been there. He said, but just to reassure you, the temperature outside Trump Turnbury Hotel in Ayrshire, where I am, is 12 degrees, and at four o'clock it was eight degrees, so don't you worry about us. You write back to me, Bill, in two weeks' time when you're knee-deep in that white fluffy stuff, saying, Dear Steve, we can't get out. Have you got any soup? You can send us. Yeah, he's got, he's got a friend called Donald. Yes, that is Donald Trump's hotel up there. It's by the golf course, isn't it? That's the golf course. Bought the golf course and uh, the wind turbines and all the rest of it. It's lovely. I love Scotland, honestly. I like, I like the fact it's that far away. That's what I like about it. It's that far away. But uh, you wait till you're knee-deep in snow in the Trossachs, Bill, and you'll be discovering, you know, how you'll be appealing to us Jessies down south when we're basking in sort of gorgeous temperatures. And you'll be going, please, please, please. Um, who's this? Uh, taken at my birthday lunch. This is Diana in Richmond. And... Um, uh, uh, the, she's got a cake. It's a lovely cake. I know where that came from. I know where that came from. That looks lovely, actually. And uh, and uh, given to me as a gift by uh, A. I think that's how you pronounce it. The owner who also owns the Thai supermarket on the Q Road. From your favourite shop. I thought I'd recognise a patisserie Valerie uh, cake. Lovely. So very nice indeed. Very very nice. Like all the pictures. Like all the like the cake. Like all the people sit. Well, let's have a look at all the people sitting down. They're good. There's some attractive people there. Some, there's some unattractive people. I won't, I won't mention who they are because you, do, you obviously know who they are. Everybody looks very happy. Very happy. And you put placemats in front of everybody so they all know where they're supposed to be sitting, which is lovely. So uh, for a 70th birthday, how cool is that? Phil says maybe you should put the contents of your car boot in Tate Modern. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe not. I don't think it's, it's necessary, dear. Uh, looking forward to the, uh, to the 12th, says Jason. Approximate finish time, it's about an hour and a bit. So not, uh, not late. Not late at all. And then you could... Oh, he's uh, friends joining him at the Hippodrome. Uh, Jack says, don't buy a beanie hat. I don't need... I didn't have to buy one. Somebody sent me one. I've been sent it by, uh, by Blatant. I'm going to put it on, actually, because I'm not sure if it suits me or not. I can't quite work this out. So if I put it on, then the producer will be honest. Is it all right? You sure? Nobody's going to laugh or point. OK. You sure? It's quite nice, actually, isn't it? I've never had a beanie hat before, but you do, I've discovered you need something on your head to keep... Yes, we have another picture of the, of the beanie hat. Right, we'll have a picture, and then, then you, you can decide. If, if we put this up on the LBC uh, website... Wait a minute. <laughs> try not to laugh. When you see the picture, for God's sake, don't, don't laugh. It's embarrassing. I'm not going to put the headphones on. We're sort of trying... Because yesterday, my, my fr- oh, it's my phone, isn't it? Yesterday, my friend Ant retweeted the picture of me in my hat because we'd sort of joked about... Um, uh, what's a bloody camera? Thing? Wait a minute, it's there. I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, about me wanting to be a DJ. This one's going to look even better, I should imagine. Wait a minute, there. It's so slow, my phone, sometimes. It really is. Last thing I, I tweeted, there you go. We're we not doing the DJ Allen headphones. I don't, well, could do. Wait a minute. Oh, blimey. I'm going to sort of dislocate my neck. Is that better? 
Lovely. Cool, cool. DJ Allen part two. Here we go. I have to take it off, actually, because it's quite warm to work indoors. So if I actually tweet this and then you tell me if Beanie Hat looks good. I'm sure the sh- it looks as though I've got a pile of food behind me, but I promise you it's not. Um, D-J-S-T-E-V-E. DJ Steve part two. There we go. And if we, uh, if we tweet that one. I quite like it, actually. Now I've seen me on and now I've seen the hat on. I'm quite liking it. I'm quite liking it. I, d- I do like that, actually. I think I look amazing for my age. Just need to lose a little bit of weight. And, <laughs> well, quite a bit of weight, actually. Where are we? 27, it doesn't matter about the time, does it? Who cares? It's Friday morning. Why should you worry about it? Uh, this week, Ring Conversation, and we'll have some clips a little bit later on, which I know you are going to absolutely love, is the fabulous Joe Malone, who's... Uh, because pe- I'm sure that people thought that it was a brand name, but it is her name. She is called Joe Malone. And she was absolutely delightful. She's got her autobiography out. We waited so many times to get her. And because she was on a, a book tour and because she was on a, an interview circuit as well, you know, we, they were going, give me next week, give me next week. And so we've been trying since the book first came out because I thought there is a story that you should uh, hit. Oh, nice. No, I look like an elf, don't I, really? I'm slightly disturbed by the fact I could be an elf. I quite like that hat, actually. I'm going to wear that all the time now. Over, I'm going to wear it down to my brother's. He'll probably point and laugh, as people generally do with me. It, it's on the LBC Twitter uh, feed in a in a moment. God, I'm good. Sickening I'm good-looking. Anyway, there you go. You just have to live with it, I suppose. <sighs> yeah, so anyway, so Joe Malone will be with us uh, for this weekend in conversation. It's a, it's a super interview. Even she says it's a good interview, so so that's nice. And uh, And then the other one, it's that Chef Ken Hom who we had a really good chat with, really, really good chat. So I'm delighted to say that they'll both be with me Saturday morning between 6 and 7, just before breakfast, and then repeated on Sunday evening between 9 and 10. Between 9 and 10. And uh, so that's nice. That's nice. You're, you're going to enjoy it. And a little bit later on, we'll have some clips as well uh, for you to have a look at. So, uh, no, I've had a look at the Fedora's Jacks and Russian fur hats, and I didn't... Um, uh, I didn't take to those at all. In fact, it was quite difficult to try and find anything at all tomorrow. Uh, sorry, anything at all yesterday when I was out shopping. But I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. I went to Kingston. I took, took the bus. So I thought, no point in taking the car, because I've got to find somewhere to park. And, and then you think, no, nah, I can't be bothered. And so I took the bus, which was quite nice. And um, the whole of Kingston has been transformed. What they've done is what we might do in Twickenham hopefully next year, is put all the way down the high street, all the way down the centre of, of uh, Kingston, is lots of little booths, what they call little pop-up shops, selling, that's where I got these candle holders from, and they're selling Christmas decorations, and if you go into the market, you can get one of those very expensive German sausages, uh, which I think are produced over here now. He's charging a fiver, a fiver for a Wurst. It's, I mean, it's, I think that's quite expensive. I'm sure last year they were about four quid that uh, a fiver this year has decided they made so much money last year. He's the only stall who just seems to be constantly turning it over. So I had one of those with cheese in. Be careful, the inner is so hot. You can, like, take the roof, you make it. Very hot. Very hot. So uh, that was lovely. So Kingston done very well. Very, very well, which is very nice indeed. OK, all of your texts and emails we will put on the... Uh, the Brigham Dave says, uh, Dr Smurf Allen, where are you all coming from? <laughs> We're from Dartmoor on the run. That was the one, isn't it? And um, so Zach Goldsmith uh, disappeared at the end. And 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know what's actually going to to happen to him now. He's, I mean, there's, there's no political career as such, no political career, and it's gone back to the Lib Dems, which it was for years. For years, in, in Twickenham, Richmond, we were Lib Dem. We were Vince Cable. And then he lost, and, and then we get sort of the Conservatives in, and then the Conservatives go out again. Now, whether it's not, you know, it's whether it's people don't like Zach Goldsmith, I've got no idea. But either way, we've now got uh, somebody else in. So we're back to the Lib Dems, and uh, Zach sort of wanders off into, I suppose, political wilderness. Uh, Simon has just arrived in New York, settled into the hotel, put the programme on straight away. He says, I can't wait to explore the Christmas market. I wasn't even aware that they had them in New York. Do they have Christmas? I don't think they have them. Are you sure you're in, the, you're in the wrong place, mate? You should be in Salzburg. I know it sounds similar to New York, doesn't it? I thought everybody tries to copy Germany and Austria and uh, places on the Rhine where they have these Christmas... I mean, apparently, even in Manchester, God help them, they have a Christmas market. You know, we have a Christmas market here where they sort of try and sell you sort of interesting things. But uh, I didn't think New York had stuff like that. I'm, I'd be quite, I know they've got the Rockefeller Centre and they've got the tree and they've got... But they've got a really big tree in uh, Kingston and it's all balls. It's all just coloured. They're obviously stuck to it, obviously, otherwise it'll fall off. And, and so it's not actually a tree at all. It's in the shape of a tree, but about, about 15 feet tall, and I'm very late for the news. I'm very sorry. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. I got one of those things ages ago. You know when you get um, uh, an email, and it goes, Hello, my name is Mrs. Izzy Wombarda. And uh, this one was, was unusual in so much she said, And I'm deaf. But I'd, <laughs> I'd like to trans transfer £53 million into your account. So I wrote back some usual obscenity, which I do to these sort of people, and uh, leave it at that. She's not contacted me ever since, which is very odd, isn't it? She was also the same person who thought I wanted to meet Russian girls in my area. No, wrong again. So we didn't bother with that. And uh, uh, the producer used to get them from Banky Moon. Was he trying to transfer money as well or something? <laughs> I find it unbelievable. That's the former Secretary-General of the United Nations. And there was... It's, the other one was... What was the other one that was very pop? They all emanate from Nigeria. Or most of them come from Nigeria. Where they must sit down trying to think up scams. And it probably... I wonder how many people would actually reply to somebody who says, I would like to transfer, you know, £3.6 million into your account. Do you think it would be somebody who's senile or somebody who's never heard LBC or never read a newspaper and they're so isolated? Makes you wonder how they ever ever operated a a computer in the first place. Because they must get responses to it. They must get responses. There's no other way around it. They must get responses. I've got a forces charity that's been exposed by Penman Investigates in the Mirror today. Again, I can only warn you. I can only warn you that when you see somebody rattling a tin and you think it's to do with helping people and then you check their accounts and suddenly realise that practically diddly squat goes to good causes, that's the time you stop giving. It's as simple as that. It's very easy to just hand over. You see people, we have it on rugby days, people rattling tins. You've got People just put money in there. People put money in there. The Salvation Army go round, or used to go round, gay pubs collecting. The Salvation Army, they're anti-gay. What would they be doing collecting in gay pubs? And people who just put money, I say, what are you doing? Don't give them money. It's ridiculous. But at Christmas time, you get the Salvation Army. They need to update their uniforms. I think they're now looking terribly dated. They need to bring themselves up into, into the year 2016. They were talking yesterday about tallow, this minuscule amount, which is in a £5 note. Why do they do a note? Why didn't they just do a coin? A coin would be so much easier. Make it like... Um, uh, like a £2 coin, only sort of cut three edges off it or something like that and put something on it. But uh, apparently it's also in um, cartridges that were issued uh, for the Indian mutiny 
1857. The, uh, the cartridges that were standard issue with the rifle were greased with pork fat, regarded as unclean. It was also used in the lubricant for American Civil War ammunition, used in the Springfield rifled musket. Um, it's also used to make a biodegradable motor oil. Uh, also, in woodworking, screw fixing, it serves as a lubricant and a rust inhibitor. I wonder how many people know that. I wonder how many people know that. We certainly didn't know about the, uh, the £5 note, but as I say, unless you're going to eat the thing, does it make any difference? I should imagine, there was a thing the other day, and, um, and it was yesterday, saying that uh, Sikhs couldn't touch it because... But yet, up until now, people must have been touching it. Otherwise, how would you keep money in so... So are you telling me that if you go into a shop and, and it's run by Sikhs and, you, and they, it's £3.20, you give them a the £5 note, they're going to go, nope, don't want that, don't want that. Uh, what have we got here? What have we got here? Gail Porter. Gail Porter. And, oh, no, there's somebody who's written to Gail Porter, I think, which is quite sweet, because we know occasionally she catches us in the morning. There is a guy at my local church, says Joe, who wears flip-flops. Once it snowed quite heavily, he was still wearing flip-flops. Aren't your feet cold, I said. And he said, no, these are my winter flip-flops. We went to see Father Christmas, I told you, in Lapland years ago. We are knee-deep in snow. It's minus 20, and there's a guy in sandals and a raincoat. Oh, seriously, I mean, it was, it was unbelievably cold, and he's wearing a raincoat. He had thick glasses on, so I'm oh, slight, slightly dodgy on that one. And, um, and these, uh, these, these sandals, which are pretty bizarre. Who wears sandals in the winter? Round our way, I know that we are actually supposed to be fairly hardy, and we have um, a sports training college. And uh, um, so there's loads of people who wander through, through the town in shorts, even in this, this weather, seriously in shorts. You look at them and you think... Oh, my God. Uh, there is a £5 coin, says Richard in East London. Oh, right. Oh, no, five, I forgot to do. Sorry about that. Pinch and a punch for the first day of the month. It's the 1st of December. It's nice, isn't it? Bet you thought we'd never get here. Bet you thought we'd never get to the 1st of December. I bet you were sort of thinking, oh, I told you, this is going to go so fast. I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday, and she said, you have remembered that we're going to see Matthew Bourne's The Red Shoes at Sadler's Wells, yeah, and you have remembered to book the... Um, the uh, the cocktail lounge no you have remembered to book Joanne no all these things you've got to do and then I get the demand in the other day for for our um, uh, charge on the on the block and I'm sure it goes up every year and I'm the one who sets it with the help of lovely Lynn and I was looking at it thinking oh god that's going out at Christmas time my accountant's fees going out at Christmas time Christmas looking a bit bleak but luckily we seem to have done most things then I'm going down to see my brother this week. Uh, to empty the boot of the car. I should be so grateful. I'm literally, he's going to end up with so much stuff. I'm just going to empty the boot of the car. Chocolates, booze, everything. He can have the whole blooming caboodle so I can get rid of it. Because I, I just need, I'm sure the back of the car's dipped down somewhat. Uh, what else we got? What else we got? Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, somebody says, many years ago I was a member <coughs> of a brain teaser website. And um, I went under the name of, of Dumbbell. One day, as I, I was accused of uh, also being the user's Curly, a 20-something soldier in the Gulf, and a couple of other people. It's interesting, isn't it? And uh, when contacting LBC, I put my hands up to being so-and-so, so-and-so. If, if I text or message, depends on whether I reach the phone or the tablet. But uh, I never understand why people want to make fake accounts. Well, it's, it's, the trouble is, it's, it, you can make a fake account. But we can see where it's come from straight away. I can tell you on one here, uh, not only do I have um, 
the location of the person, uh, but I've also got a postcode as well. And if I, if I was so inclined, you could put it into Google and find out what the house looked like. Because Google Earth is... I mean, well, I did that the other day. I can't tell you who it was to, but nothing to do with here. It was, it was to do with a friend of mine. I thought, can't wait to see what his house looks like. We were very impressed. We were very impressed. So anyway, that's my accountant for you. Anyway, and uh, because it, you can do that. In fact, uh, on mine, you can see my, my place is on Google. Everybody's is, because this car poodles up and down all over the place. And, uh, and you could tell when it was done. Our one in Twickenham was done in June, I think. They obviously do it to update. Because I remember once we had a Google Earth thing where you could look down. I saw my car. But I could tell when it was done because I could tell by the, uh, the colour of the car, which was interesting. Yeah, if you're really rural, you might not have it because it doesn't go every single place. But we sort of fa- we found roughly where the accountant was. We, we, we think we've sussed it out, actually. Um, who wears sandals in the winter, says Peter. Answer, New Zealanders. Do- yeah, but they don't have winter, do they? Like, like we have winter. We have, we have ice cold where your feet are really, really freezing. <laughs> uh, Matthew says, I used to have a baseball cap that had an aerial sticking out at the top. And came with a... I think I've seen one of these before. Is that you? Oh, dear. He says... I didn't have an umbrella hat. No, no. I'm an adult. I've got an umbrella that lights up, but I've not got an umbrella hat. He says, uh, it was always part of my winter clothing, which was pea coat, stroke hoodie, stroke jog pants and trainers. He says, I might look like an oddball, but I... But I did not and still don't care. Yep. Oddball and slightly peculiar. There you go. But uh, that doesn't matter, does it, really? Who cares, actually, about things like that? Uh, 84850. Th- there is a whole book on the Nigerian scams. Do you, um, I don't know if you've ever read it. My uh, former producer of mine... Oh, look, Prince Harry's wearing medals. What they're for, I've got no idea. Again, that's, that'll be part of his official... He's actually managed to put a suit on for something. Do you think people are going, who is he? I don't know, he lives in a big house and he's got an American girlfriend at the moment. And then he, and then he takes the, uh, the thing off and off he goes again. He's 32. He's still going to be 52 and still trolling around the world doing absolutely nothing. Perhaps he can have a quiet word with Beatrice. Don't pretend to be granny. All right, try that again. Tower. And you'll stay there for the rest of your life. So, poor old Harry. Yeah, yeah, well, cool, yeah, whoa. Just don't dance, mate. You do look like sort of some weird old uncle from Norwich. He's fascinated by children, isn't he? Not that we think he's ever going to get married, even though people are trying to sort of palm him off with, uh, with this, this girlfriend. They're going, oh, we could be hearing wedding bells. Don't be stupid. He's only seen her twice. Why would there be wedding bells? <laughs> he's going out with her. I love it. And uh, waiter, waiter, there's a hair in my soup. Sorry, sir. The tortoise hasn't arrived in the kitchen yet. Thank you. It's an old one. Uh, Nigerian scams. Oh, that's right. That's not Nigerian scams. But this was somebody who followed up the scam. And they, what they did, they then... It's very clever. I don't know if you ever read the Henry Root letters years and years ago. The Henry Root letters were very famous. And it was a guy who would write to companies. And he'd be writing to somebody like, say, uh, Colonel Sanders, saying, uh, Dear Colonel Sanders, I, I run a local Boy Scout troop and we're very impressed with your Kentucky Fried Chicken. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have a lot of money. If you could send us the recipe please, then the boys could start making it themselves at camp. And he would do these letters, you know, and sometimes to government figures. It was really, it was really brilliant. But the letter that involved the Nigerian scams was the people who, who write saying, oh, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for a boyfriend in England. And so this correspondence started, uh, and there were loads of them, loads of them. Yes, I, and it's generally a man writing. 
Yes, I would really love to come and see you in England. I'm, you know, I'm beautiful, I'm this, I'm that. It's a bloke. I'm really gorgeous, I'm wonderful, I'm this and everything else. And so this, this person then writes back. This is the person who's, who's keeping the scam going that they don't know and says, yeah, I'd really like to meet you. You sound absolutely gorgeous, which is exactly what they want to hear. You know, you sound fantastic. And, um, and then the next one would be, you know, when, when are we going to get together? We've been having correspondence and it's really exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I tell you what, why don't you book a flight on this particular day and then uh, and I'll look forward to meeting you at the airport. That'll be fine. Next day, total disaster over here, I'm afraid. Uh, my mother has fallen really ill and the money I was going to use to buy the ticket, I've had to spend on urgent medicine. I still desperately want to see you. Is it possible you could wire me the money for the plane ticket? And thus begins the scam. Because he then writes back, yeah, sure, I'll do that. How much do you need? And she'd write back going, uh, $250 should help a lot. OK, right. Speak to you soon. Next day. Have you wired the money yet? She would then give a, a box where you could send the money to. And he said, um, no, not, not yet, no. Soon, I'll do it very soon, because I'm really missing you. I really want to see you. And so this would go on over a course of about 10 or 15 emails. In the end, she suddenly realised that he was winding her up. Not that she was a she, she was a he. And, um, and suddenly realised when he said, listen, I'd love to see you, but unfortunately I think your mother must have died by now, mustn't she, if she's not getting the medicine. And so, so this went on. It was hilarious. It was really interesting because you can see how the scam evolves and how people get taken in. And we've seen it before. There was a woman, wasn't there, caught only a short while ago, less than a year ago. She thought she was writing to a bloke who was invalided out of the American forces. And he sent pictures, everything. He had pictures. He had a profile. It's all carefully, it's all done designed to rob you of your money. They couldn't care less who you are. They don't care whether you're an old age pensioner and you've downed your last 20,000. Anyway, this woman sent thousands of dollars to this non-existent man. It was, it, and she was fleeced. She was fleeced. She had no idea she was being, she thought genuinely he was writing and he was saying, listen, I can't wait to be with you. You know, my daughter is here and she's really pleased that I found somebody. And this woman was taken in by it. I think in the end she sent over something like $100,000 you know, transferred into English money. And at the end, there was nothing. You can't get your money back because you sent it. Once you've sent it, they haven't come around and twisted your arm. You've sent it voluntarily. And so, consequently, that's why it's, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a problem. So if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Uh, Steve, are you watching Four in a Bed this week, says Joanna? Don't stay at the London B&B on the 12th. It was something like £500 a night. I can't afford £500 a night. That's a fa- I wouldn't spend £500 a night on anything. Seriously, I'd rather go and stay with friends. Actually, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But I wouldn't spend 500 a night, no. hundred? That'd be about all I'd be spending. Even then, you're only renting a bed. Somebody else has slept in. Good grief. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Do you remember we were talking a short while ago? In fact, it seemed to dominate the conversation on LBC. You will remember it, because it was the girl who died, but she wanted to be frozen. And uh, one of my listeners, uh, Vanessa, said, if you die from cancer or any other illness and then frozen, if you're brought back to life, won't your body still have the problems? Yeah, it's still in there, isn't it? I mean, because that's the one thing about cancer. When, when, when you are diagnosed with, with cancer, and the treatments are so much better now, so much better than they ever used to be. I mean, sometimes if it's a fairly aggressive form of cancer, you know, then the prognosis is not so, so great. But I would have thought that even if you freeze somebody... 
uh, after they've died of the cancer which has taken their life. I don't quite understand how you're going to bring somebody back to life. What they're relying on, of course, is that in the future, medicine will have improved beyond all shadow of a doubt, in which case perhaps nobody will die or will be so overcrowded. We'll have to sort of recommend that people do die at a certain age. Because I just don't think it's going to work. I don't, there's no evidence to suggest anybody can ever be brought back to life having been dead for a number of years. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I, can, I could quite categorically sit here and state that if you die from cancer, when they sort of unfreeze you, you've still got the cancer in you. There's no evidence that by freezing you, the cancer disappears. Otherwise, all they'll do is just freeze the cancer that's in your body. But they physically have to take the cancerous cells out. They don't freeze them. It's not like that. It doesn't work like that. So that's why it's a bit of a lost cause. But if that's what somebody wants. I was watching that film the other day as well, Let Him Have It. Do you remember the Let Him Have It film? This is where we hanged Derek Bentley, an innocent young man with a mental age of, I think, about 11 years old. And I told you that I went to the screening of it. I forget why. I must have done it. There must have been some screen. I must have had somebody in. But Iris Bentley... His sister always campaigned for for Derek and died before uh, I think she heard that he'd been pardoned. A bit bloody late by that time. The person who pulled the trigger, of course, was happily living over in Australia. Christopher Craig was living over in Australia. He was the one that pulled the trigger. I mean, you could have seen in court if the film was to be believed, and I believed it to be a, a fairly accurate portrayal of what happened at the time. When he said, let him have it, he meant, give him the gun. That's what anybody interpreted it as, except in the court... They didn't. They interpreted that as, you know, fire at him. Why you would have said that, I can't imagine. Anyway, it was, it was so sad because he was, he was a little boy. He reminded me of somebody who didn't really understand. He said to his, to his mum and his dad, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. He said, because I know I didn't do anything wrong. He was, that was the mentality. And he was executed at nine o'clock in the morning. And he asked them beforehand, when he, he said, will it hurt? And you think... We ex- that's why we can never bring back the death penalty. If we make a mistake, how do you compensate somebody for taking their, their loved one? I mean, in those days, people were campaigning outside the prison. Um, it happens very quickly. If ever you watched the film about Albert Pierpoint, it was very methodical. And I think Pierpoint executed him, I'm pretty certain. And uh, it was just tragic, because I saw the film with Iris Bentley. She was sitting opposite us in the aisle. There was only a few of us in the cinema. About the third time I've been in this cinema next door, and there's only been a few of us in there for a special screening. And when it came to the execution, she left. Because I think it brought back terrible memories of what they all went through. But now, because they, didn't, they weren't there to watch something like that happening, this kind of brought it back of exactly what he went through at the end of his life. And that's why... And I found myself welling up watching this, uh, this film, thinking it was just wrong. He should never have been executed in the first place. Never, never, ever, ever in a million years. So that's what, so right. Forty-five years before he was pardoned, was there any compensation? No, comp- nothing is there. Absolutely nothing. Sorry, we're terribly sorry we've executed your son, who was I think nineteen at the time, nineteen, and uh, and you think, of course, had this been in this day and age, they'd have been going for millions, millions of pounds worth of compensation because even the jury asked for a. Um, for leniency. They said, uh, you know, guilty, but with a plea for leniency, which meant send him to prison, but they didn't. The moment the judge put that piece of black material on his head, he was going to pronounce the death penalty. And even though the family campaigned desperately... The only reason I'm mentioning it is because it it profoundly affected me at the time, uh, thinking that his, uh, his sister had to leave the cinema before it got to the execution. And we had to, to watch it. I mean, I know it was a film 
But even so, it really happened. It was a true, true story. Let him have it. If you've never seen it, get it. Because you will then, if you're of the opinion that we should have the death penalty back, believe you me, you'll change your mind. So, here is the story in the paper today, and I have to mention it because we love dimbos, and we love crooked, bent dimbos. And here they are this morning. It's Kane Herbert, by name and by nature, and Stephen Blake. Uh, Kane Herbert... Is 25, and Stephen Blake is 39. They faked injury after a crash to get compensation. Uh, They told a judge they had to give up rugby because of the neck pain caused by a coach accident in March 2015, and they tried to claim £17,000 each for whiplash. Okay. So just bearing in mind, this is Kane Herbert, a real thicko, and Stephen Blake, 39, another thicko. The case was kicked out when the court was shown footage of the pair playing a full 80-minute game at Cardiff Arms Park for a Sky Sports show. <laughs> Dimbos! They featured on School of Hard Knocks, which aims to help unemployed offenders find work. Both Herbert and Blake were on 12-month supervision orders when they took part in the programme. They were shown running around, scrumming down in the match, cheered by rugby legends. Uh, Ex-Wales International, Quinnell, I think that's Scott Quinnell, uh, said on the show, Kane is one of the most improved guys we've ever had on the programme. He went off to the army recruitment training, came back a changed man. So Herbert and Blake, both from Cardiff, Rod a coach travelling past Parliament to Westminster when it crashed with a van. They claimed for whiplash from an insurance company that went to Cardiff County Court to fight for compensation. But dismissing the claim, the judge Christopher Vosper said both had lied, their claims were fundamentally dishonest. In other words, they were bent crooks. Solicitor Colin Vickers, who investigated the claim for the law firm DWF, said the intelligence gathered notably the footage from Sky Sports was instrumental in securing the just result. So what's the uh, so what is the the pain for them? The pain is the men have got to pay more than twenty thousand pounds in legal costs. Ha 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 ha! Good. And if you haven't got it, throw them in prison. A spokesman for the insurers said this case highlights that there is a need for the government to tackle whiplash claims. This is the right outcome. Twenty thousand pounds. Good. Good. Won't blooming well try that one again, will you, bent boys? Off you go. Twenty thousand pounds. Fantastic. Let's have more of that, please. Let's have more of that. Hanging? No, perhaps a little bit draconian, I know. But no, £20,000, brilliant. I'm very pleased about that. That'll ruin their Christmas. Good. If it stuffs them up, I'm even happier. Even happier. Um, Vanessa says, what a shock to hear you read a message from my son Simon from New York. My other son Robert listens to you in the car when he drives to Manchester. I'm now writing Christmas cards as I go into hospital on Monday for an operation and will not be able to do them when I get home. She said, you're amazing how you talk. Yet I'm, I'm also... For- <laughs> fairly amazed how I keep talking. Somebody said to me, how do, you, how do you think of things to talk about? I said, well, I don't. I don't need to think about it. I can sit here and I can stare into the distance, close my eyes and still come up with loads of things. It doesn't matter whether it's something you've seen on the television, something you've read in a newspaper, something you've retrieved from the darkest recesses of your mind. Two weeks since my knee op and uh, getting more sleep, but I still set my alarm for 0400 because you're worth it, says Viv. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Eugene says, once we leave the EU, will we still have the Euro lottery? Oh, I do hope not. I don't want to share the money. I can't bear it when somebody from Belgium wins. Does that drive you mad? Oh, goodness sake, you go, listen, I'm sorry. God has laughed on them enough. They're not having my money. And so the people go, it's the Euro Millions lottery. I don't care. 
far as I'm concerned, it's ours. Camelot is a British company. Are they? I'm not sure now. And I want to keep the money. And so I think what they should do, if somebody from Belgium wins, they just go, oh, no, that was the wrong numbers. And we just, they don't know. They don't know. And then we, then we get all the money. And that way we can go, Steve Allen's won it on LBC, and that's when I start getting the hate letters. From Pete's jointly done, Camelot and, and the French and Spanish ones. Well, we'll get rid of those soon, won't we? We'll get rid of those. Uh, boo to the Spanish. Yeah. Oh, boo, boo, paella, paella, go away. The French, poo, stinky poo, garlics. No, thank you very much indeed. I want all the money. They get, I mean, if somebody wins it and, it, and they're, they're part of you, I, I get really upset. Ruins my weekend. I've got three. You know, I won 50 quid last week. Well, I've dined out on it ever since. Seriously, I get quite excited. Fifty pounds to win on, on the on the Euro Millions. And I've got three more notifications. So I've built up a little nest egg on my on my account. I've got about a hundred pounds in there at the moment. Whoopee! And uh, and I might spend it. Depends on how much the, the jackpot is tonight. If it's interesting. I mean I'm never gonna win it, but it doesn't matter. Sorry, and I don't, I didn't even get hacked. Mainly because even I can't remember the blasted password, so nobody else is going to be remembering them, are they? Coming up to the news at five o'clock, it's Friday the 2nd of December. Do you remember the uh, copper who flashed her breast at a colleague? She can stay in the job, apparently, with a bit of help from her pal at the BBC. Peculiar, aren't they, in the Peace Force? It really is. Uh, Chelsea's in the dock. The club's accused of hushing up the child sex abuse claims. Somebody was paid money, they claim, by Chelsea... Under the guidance of don't say anything, but they obviously chose not to follow that rule. And this only happened three years ago. Uh, vegan, uh, not me, but I am on the five-a-day diet. Woo, do you hear Nick Ferrari yesterday? He ate a five-pound note. I'm having his stomach pumped. Uh, Sarah Ferguson and her mad diets. And on the fiddle, the violinist, she faked cancer. Oh, I want to be famous. You are, dear, for being a fraudster. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Friday, 2nd of December. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in 22 days' time, you'll have to be all finished and done, and it's going to go like that. December is such a busy month. Seriously, I mean, you've got to try and get as much done as possible, get those cards written, put them in the post box, make sure you've got the stamps. Oh, we've got the stamps. You bought the cards? Yeah, bought the cards. You're putting money in them? Yeah, putting money in some of the cards. It's just a nightmare, isn't it, really? (coughs) Excuse me. Anyway, uh, getting no work done at work means it's your noisy colleague's fault. That'll be me. I always get blamed for that. I remember we used to have a presenter here. A very irritating person. That's all I'll tell you about her. And I was was chatting in the office. And uh, she, she, um, she lost her temper. Seriously, an, a rank amateur she was, of course. And so I'm, I'm sort of being my usual entertaining self, you know, irritating. And, um, and she went, Steve. I went, yes. And she went, some of us are trying to work around here. And, and I went, oh, right. She was really rude. Horrible person. Horrible person. And I couldn't possibly mention her name or anything like that. But uh, so it was that sort of Steve. I thought, no. And then. And then we sort of got rid of her. And, uh, and that's when she disappeared completely. So I am the noisy colleague at work. I am the noisy colleague. That's all I can tell you. I remember saying, Julie, uh, so I uh, remember thinking to myself, uh, the migrant numbers have hit a new record, haven't they? That's in the paper today. Farewell, Manuel, king of crackpot comedy. 86. I didn't think he was 86. Did you think he was 86? Eight- I never thought he was 86. I really didn't. And uh, the the other one is uh, the pilot falling asleep at 38,000 feet. And they now say that a lot of pilots are overworked. And consequently, they're working way too many hours. Mind you, we've had all sorts of pilot problems over the years. I thought this one was a combination of a tired pilot. But then planes can fly themselves now. 
I know you, you'd probably think that's quite trite, but they can. A plane can actually fly itself. They just flick into autopilot and you can do it. It's like, you know that all pilots and co-pilots, they all have different meals in the cockpit, just in case one of them is contaminated and somebody falls ill. You don't all want to be eating the same food, so they all have different, uh, different meals. And you flick it into autopilot and it flies by itself. It, you know, goes up and down, adjusts to this, and that's what, you know, that's what you're sitting in. They just can't take off and land. Can you not, I thought you could land on auto. I'm pretty certain you could. Whether or not it sees the actual airport terminal, I'm not too convinced. I've seen the film Airplane. It goes right through the airport terminal. Bit of a shock to the people waiting in there, I tell you. And here... Uh, oh, God. Straight in. But uh, now they're saying that pilots are working too hard. I'd love to be able to fly a plane. Wouldn't you love to love fly a plane? I'm still a bit frightened by it. I mind you, I get frightened by cars. So getting frightened by an aeroplane would be quite normal. Uh, Lord Howard fined £900 over speeding. Now, the reason this is an interesting case is because he can't remember who was driving the car. Now, perhaps he's got some early onset of something. How can people not remember who was driving a car? I remember this with a very well-known showbiz-type couple a few years ago, uh, a man and a woman. And they couldn't remember who was driving the car either. Funny that, isn't it? I would always remember who would be driving the car. And I suspect people use it as a bit of an excuse saying, listen, you might have fined me for it, but I'm not totally convinced it was me who was driving the car at the time. Well, I don't know, dear, are you wearing an Easter bonnet? Because, you know, you'll have a picture, won't you, which has been taken by the, uh, by the camera. Uh, Victoria's seedy secret, it's gone from saucy to very tawdry. And as Jan Moyer points out, she's absolutely right, how sad that girls nowadays think that that's a career, getting your kit off and walking around in your underwear. It's really cheap and very tacky. Uh, this uh, Lord Howard is, of course, Michael Howard, the former... Tory leader that Anne Widdicombe said had something of the night about him. Ooh, whatever that means. One can only imagine, can't we? Hello, Anne. Would you like to go on a date? No, I won't. Come on, you would. You'd like to go out for a bit of a date. Let's go out and get... Would you like to see Anne Widdicombe drunk? <laughs> to be honest. It's not a fantasy or anything. I don't want you to understand that I've got sort of harbouring strange feelings about Anne Widdicombe. I just sort of think, I wonder if she would... Do you think it would just take two sherries or three? Or a couple of liqueur chocolates. I used to love liqueur chocolates. I seriously, I, I thought a liqueur chocolate was the height of decadence at Christmas. I used to think it was, you know, if you found a box of liqueur chocolates, oh, you try and sneak one out. You go, oh, oh, apricot brandy. Woohoo! Used to think two of those would be flat on your back singing bawdy songs about the war. Uh, Sarah Ferguson's in one of the papers, mainly because she's mad as a broomstick. And, um, you know, after the toe sucking, we all felt slightly queasy about that. And her mad as broomstick daughters and her equally mad husband. Uh, it's all the diets now. You won't believe how many she's been on. She's been on loads and loads of diets. Each one, of course, is the, is the most marvellous diet. But as I've said to you before, and I'm never wrong, diets don't work. If diets worked, there'd be one. That there are thousands of diets. The hay diet, the F-plan diet, the this diet, the that diet. Eat watermelon, don't eat anything, live on baby food. Two spoons of yoghurt a day, apparently. Her latest one, I think, is yoghurt and, and tomato. She's mad as a fruitcake. Don't take any notice of what she talks about. It's absolute woolly stuff that just comes out of it. It's just, it's just flotsam. Just... Why you'd ever want to take any notice of her, I've got no idea. Uh, Lydia Dim, we send sympathy card to today. Because poor old Lydia Dim, she just can't... She doesn't know how to wear clothes. She's got no idea. She turns up in the most awful clothes. She, uh, she thought she found a new boyfriend a short while ago. Luckily, that sort of finished. And then she re-slept with Arge. And apparently, she's now decided to sign up uh, for... 
uh, for the jump, uh, which is fairly fairly dangerous, actually, I would have thought, for most people. But as I say, Lydia Dim, I'm sure she'll be very exciting, but boring. She'll be more dull than Ola Jordan. But, of course, as there's no more work on the table, the, she has to take the the show that comes with risks, and that's why. It's dreadful, really. I feel a bit sorry for her, because she must be so lonely that, you know, she ends up going back and sleeping with Arge again, and, and we're, we're supposed to sort of read into this. I don't know. It's all very odd. But, uh, as I say, best best to put her on the jump. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, uh, to get uh, an OBE for services to drama. I think, do you know, I think that would be right. I mean, let's face it, he's made some cracking films. I have to tell you as well that he wasn't one of my better interviews for In Conversation. It was like pulling teeth. It was like pulling teeth. And, um, uh, and when would you get one for services for presenting? Oh, I don't, th- I don't think so. You have to be nominated for these things. You write, to, apparently you write to, he says, off the top of his head, I think you write to Downing Street. There's an office there where you sort of write in and you, you might say something along the lines of, you know, how about, you know, a CBE to Steve Allen for, you know, nearly 40 years of, uh, I mean, that's what people would do. I mean, I'm not saying you should have to do anything like that at all. Uh, or, yes, exactly. If any of the minor ro- royals ever heard this, there's no chance of Steve Allen getting anything at all. The Queen, of course, would be going, I like him. I like him. We, William and I have a little bit of a laugh in the morning over our tea and toast. You had crumpet the other day, didn't you, Phil? <laughs> I don't know where that voice came from. No idea, seriously. They're just wandering and out the studio. And uh, Or me for services to taxi driving, says John. You can get it. Actually, I mean, it, it, there is. It is seriously. A, um, an office at Downing Street, you write in, you nominate somebody. They either come up with names or somebody will write in. And if enough people write in, <coughs> then you can sort of get some sort of award. But I've always maintained that you don't need awards in this business. Just having a job is the important thing. I know lots of people in this. I mean, I seriously know lots of business, lots of people in this business. And, um, and I'm, I'm always fascinated by people in the business who listen to this programme. You know, even at Sky News, they're listening to this programme to try and get some ideas of what to put on the bulletins. Of course, it'll all be Richmond, the by-election, Zach Goldsmith, and they'll be talking about that for a little bit of the day today. Then they'll be talking about the weather. That's always fairly, fairly popular. They'll also be talking, I think, really about uh, Manuel. I think he will get lots of coverage, Andrew Sachs. They'll talk about the migrant numbers um, and the whiplash I think the government have got to do something about it. It's the biggest way to cheat people. 17 grand they were looking for. They got fined £20,000. Good. Good. Let's, let's keep these crooks where they deserve to be. And also the council. There's always a good council story. And here's one about a council who seized a doormat from outside of a flat. I mean, people put doormats out. You know, if you've got corridors, people put a doormat. I've got a doormat outside. And apparently, if it's in a corridor and you're in sort of council blocks or whatever else, people might trip over it. And so that's deemed as dangerous. So they confiscated it. I've never, seriously, I've never heard of such a thing. Never heard of such a thing. I think we'll also be talking today about the police flooded with football abuse claims. 360 now. It was quite clearly, and is quite clearly, rife in football. Now, whether it still goes on, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure whether or not it's something that still goes on. I know that they've all been implicated. There are lots and lots of clubs. And uh, and I think, really, that it's time that the clubs came clean. And I think that would be, you know, a lot easier. Uh, would you like to live in a world without cars, planes and the internet, says Peter? No, no. I love the internet. 
I love the internet. Uh, I love cars. I'm, to be honest with you, I'm naturally not bothered on planes. Paul reckons that planes can take off and land on autopilot. And, uh, and at 38,000 feet, the complete FMC has routing selected, so the autopilot is in control. But living in a world without cars, planes and internet, I don't know. Could you live without your telephone, I think, would be the big question, wouldn't it? Could you live without your telephone? The answer is nope. Could not live without the telephone. Absolutely not. It's, it's, it's your lifeline. Uh, Phil says, planes can land by themselves, but they need a pilot in the cockpit in case there's a problem. They need to uh, abandon the approach and fly round. We had that once, actually. And that was... Um, uh, and, and the plane landed, and then it took off again. So we, sort of, we hit the runway, and off we went again. And the reason was, we didn't have enough fuel to keep us up in the air, and we got diverted to Manchester. Luckily, we just refuelled at Manchester, and they all pootled back down to London. Excuse me. Mm. And so we were OK. But, oh, dear, I, like, I spill more coffee in the studio than anybody else. Malcolm says, wasn't it a female violinist who threw eggs at Simon Cowell? In uh, Britain's Got Talent. Probably. Probably. I don't... I, I, I vaguely remember about somebody... Somebody throwing something. Somebody coming onto the stage and throwing something. I don't know. Uh, Billy says, How about a reward for Fred Bloggs, the dustman, who got up at 4.30 every morning to clear people's rubbish? Or is it only for the boys' club? Ooh, Billy's standing like a chip on your shoulder. No, you get loads of people like that who get awards. You must check the OBE list and the CBEs. You have a look. There's some very ordinary people. Not as ordinary as you, admittedly, but, I mean, there are ordinary people out there, yeah? Sometimes dustmen do get it. They, they go over and above. But I, I agree. I don't think you should reward somebody for getting well paid for doing something that they find very easy to do. I don't, uh, I don't understand why you would reward somebody. But I, I don't have any problem at all. I don't have any problem at all with Eddie Redmayne getting an award. I think that's great. Uh, Kevin says, uh, I watched Let Him Have It. And there are very few films that made me cry, but I sobbed like a baby. My 17-year-old daughter, Chloe, has Asperger's and a mental age of 12. And that makes the film more poignant. I know. And the worst thing was, the worst thing was, that the government at the time, the MPs, said, oh, no, we, we, we can't do anything until after the execution. Until after he'd been executed. 45 years it took them to realise that they made a big mistake. Big mistake. Really, really terrible. Uh, 84850. How long does the magic show on the 23rd last? Um, I can't remember. It's a few hours. You go in to the magic circle, those people who are coming. I think there's a few seats left, actually. You need to go to the magic circle website. That will link you through. And when I say a few, I mean, I think there's like three, three seats left for the magic circle show. And um, downstairs, there's the, the club room. You can go and have a look at the museum. You can see the original sooty. And some uh, some apparatus, apparatus. And then upstairs in the Devant room, you'll have close-up magic. And it'll be literally uh, under your nose. Under your nose. You will watch things and it will happen and you'll be going, oh, I can't believe it. Uh, then you have a little break and then you come up into the theatre, which is nice, intimate little theatre. And we have a little stage show as well, which I'll be hosting. So uh, that's it. So a few hours. Probably, I don't know, I was tempted to say about three. Might be three. That's, that's, uh, I, but I seriously couldn't tell you because I, I, we, we don't rehearse it. It's just done because they've got lots of magic uh, circle Christmas shows on, but mine's, mine's the unique one. Uh, also, some very special tickets you can buy a bit later on, too, for my show at the Hippodrome. They've released um, a box. Now, as far as I remember, it seats five and it's £750, all the money to charity. And uh, you get your choice of drinks and everything else and there's meet and greet. 
So, uh, so that's nice. If you've got some money, so for five of you, it works out at not too expensive. Only the sort of money you'd spend on booze over Christmas. And then some. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 21 minutes uh, past five. Here's the time. Steve Allen's early breakfast. Mooncake and coffee. To keep out the cold, says, uh, says Mick. Yes, I'm not too sure about mooncake and coffee. Although it's, it sounds quite appealing, doesn't it, really? Uh, very sad to hear of the passing of Andrew Sachs, says Bibi. Missed by his fellow water rats, I'm sure. Last I saw him in the British musical Annual Ball, he was upset, most upset by Russell Brand's nasty business. Yes, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. It was a scandalous thing to do. But I'm sure we'd be able to get our own back on Russell Brand. It's just really, it's just, how on earth they even thought that was funny? I've got no idea. Uh, Kevin says, the milkman, could I get a knighthood for services to lonely housewives? I'm not sure about that. What, you mean delivering your uh, your gold top? <laughs> that could be nice, couldn't it? Uh, Mark says, uh, what happened to the suit from the James O'Brien ITV talk show? Oh, I think it's in a museum somewhere, isn't it? I mean, I think it had had more than a few outings, that one. <laughs> and uh, Kenneth says... The beanie says everything about you. I know. It says that not only am I perfect in every... I'm a bit like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Um, Little Cheryl, little Cheryl, apparently she's pregnant. No kidding! No kidding. We have no idea. The Sun were the last ones on that one, sort of saying, oh, it's been confirmed by a family member. You don't need it confirmed by a family member. You just have to look at her to realise she was pregnant. But uh, but the son went, it's an exclusive, she's pregnant. Pfft, God, weeks later, weeks after everybody else. That's how bad their showbiz column is. Little Cheryl's family secret is that her great-granddad put it about some years ago and got a parlour maid pregnant. It was quite normal. I know you might think that's not right, but if you've ever watched Gosford Park, it was quite normal for the um, the master of the house to have uh, relations with the uh, with the underlings. And the underlings were the were the people, the parlour maids and people like that. So there were lots of lots of unwanted pregnancies. But now Cheryl's got one as well in her family, which is lovely, isn't it? It makes you sort of think, I wonder whether or not Cheryl's going to be getting married anytime soon. You know, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Because it seems to be the, the thing nowadays for people not to bother. They just go, well, I'm pregnant. It's like the, uh, the Fahir sisters, both been up the duff with children and uh, no marriage in sight at all. Not surprised, having seen the television programmes about the baby diaries. I mean, why you'd want to marry somebody like that, I cannot imagine. Uh, on the subject of uh, Let Him Have It, it's amazing how many of you caught it this morning, isn't it? I'm, I'm glad you did because I thought, it was, I thought it was very good, but very disturbing at the same time. Uh, ta-ta-ta-ta. And says, uh, my husband is losing his hair. He's asked Father Christmas for a transplant, but I think he'd look silly with a kidney on his head. Oh, no, he won't. He'll look fine, I promise you. He'll look great, actually. Uh, I bought a welcome mat. Somebody must have thought it meant welcome to take it. Only wiped my feet on it once. Oh, people thieve anything now, don't they? People just take things nowadays. I saw a mat the other day. I think it was quite reasonable. I can't remember where I saw it. It must have been somewhere like Robert Dyer's. And it was a Christmas mat with Merry Christmas on it. It was only like fiver. And I thought, if they're selling it for a fiver... How much do the people who make it get paid? And the answer is probably a pittance. I can't remember which, which shop was actually selling it, but I remember thinking, do I really want a mat outside the front door with Merry Christmas on it? Or does that look just a little bit too chav? I don't know. Oh, look, a litre bottle of Baileys, £10. I could drink a Baileys now. Just imagine how this programme would sound if we all sat down and opened a, a crate of Prosecco. I couldn't spell it. It is a bit early, I know. Yes, but I mean, not really, because I've been to bed and I'm getting, yeah, even so, a little bit early, isn't it? I couldn't spell Prosecco yesterday. I had one of my dyslexic finger days. You know when you start typing, and then before you know where you are, you've pushed the send, and it's gone on. And my friend Eddie Mayer, uh, 
emailed me, te- texted me to, to tell me after I'd finished the bottle to sort of see whether I could spell it again, which was taking the mickey out of me slightly. I managed it. I managed it. Uh, also, um, the uh, the other story is the minus 10 killer freeze set for this weekend. That's what they've said. That's what they've said. It could hit minus 10. Well, it is cold. Do get a hat. Do get a scarf. I was. I saw somebody the other day. There's a bloke who runs to the station in Twickenham every day. I mean, seriously. I don't know why he just doesn't run into work. He's always got shorts on and a, and a running vest. He must be sweating profusely by the time he gets on the train. Must be very uncomfortable for everybody there. And um, and I thought to myself, why don't people wear proper clothes nowadays? You see people sitting... I'll tell you the thing that really annoys me on the train is when you're on a packed train. Oh, and yesterday. Oh, hilarious. Yesterday, I forgot to tell you. So I leave here, go to Waterloo. I get on my train because I'd missed the other one. And so I get on my train and I'm sitting there and normally the guard comes on. It's normally in about 10 minutes before it leaves and goes, welcome along to this train, which is going to Waterloo because they, they do a big circuit. So eventually it is going to end up back at Waterloo. And so I sit there and I'm sort of uh, sort of staring into the phone and sort of doing a few little bits of it. Then all of a sudden. Bang, all the lights go off and I'm now sitting in a pitch dark train at Waterloo station. Hello. Nobody said anything. They opened the doors so you could get on. What's going on? So I stood up. But this time I'm, I'm getting slightly claustrophobic. I'm thinking, I'm stuck. At, there's nobody else in my carriage at all. Push the button to open the door. No door opening. Nothing. The train is in pitch darkness. So I sort of walk through one of the doors into the next carriage. And there's a bloke there and he can't open the door. I said, the door's not opening. He obviously thought I was going to attack him. So he went, no. And he moved further down the carriage away from me. And... Um, as I pushed it, nothing. Now, it's got an emergency handle. It says, pull this handle down and you can pull the doors apart. But I, I didn't want to do it in case it's sort of woo, 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 something like that. Meanwhile, there are people now standing on the platforms trying to open the doors to come in. And again, I can't get off the train. Then all of a sudden, the lights come back on. And I thought, oh, thank God for that. Nope, still you can't open the doors. And then a little bit further down, the guard opens the door and beckons me towards him. And he says, you need to get off the train. So I get off the train. Uh, I said, what's the matter? He said, the doors are, are not uh, opening or something like whatever it was. It was a problem with the doors. So I thought, oh, right. So I walked down the platform. I look at it and I thought, they're not going to get this thing going. I'm going to have to get another train, which I did. But as I walked down the platform, there's about another 40 or 50 people on the train stuck down at the nearest end to the to the gates who were sitting there. And I felt like saying, why has the guard not gone onto the onto the radio thing? I've gone, ladies and gentlemen, you need to get off the train. It's not going anywhere. It's broken which apparently happens on, on quite a lot of occasions. But uh, nobody said a word, because one of the guards, one of the women on, on the platform, uh, was was walking up there. She saw me on the train. She didn't say, she didn't go, come off the train, because I couldn't get off the train. Didn't say anything at all. Really dangerous. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. I was quite upset by the whole thing. Might not get that train again. Uh, crooks can hack your credit card in six seconds. I'm surprised it's as long as that. I'm surprised it's as long. Don't give your card to anybody. Don't hand over the number. Apparently, it says here hackers can get hold of valid debit and credit card numbers, but they don't know the expiry date or the security code. So the scam involves using a computer program to automatically fire the card number at a vast number of websites. Within seconds, hackers are able to get a hit and then use guessing software to establish the card expiry date and security code. 
Well, it's a bit vague, isn't it, really? I mean, how would you get... You'd never guess my security code if you sat there till the cows came home. And you certainly wouldn't guess anything else. The expiry date. How would you know that... Even I can't remember the expiry date. It's my card. That's what people say, isn't it, nowadays? They go, oh, somebody can hack it. Well, they can if they want to. If somebody really wants to, to hack in, then they can. I did have a look at the... Um, the best of M&S food and drink yesterday. Other supermarkets do it as well. And um, it's their sort of Christmas offering. It's a bit dreary. It seriously is a bit dreary. Most of it's like stuff from last year. Little little tiny meat pies and things like that. It was boring last year. Way too much pastry. The fat content must be absolutely enormous. The amount of uh, smoked salmon they appear to be using. I mean, frankly, I think it was so transparent. I thought it would evaporate. I was very worried about it. Um... Charity chief slamming football star exposed by the mail for spending 439,000 on parties. This is the um, Didier Drogba story. Um, And apparently um, they say that this was a mail. I think the Daily Mail did this as an investigation. What they found out was, in fact, that he's helping children on the Ivory Coast. But because of the Ivory Coast, they don't have access to any of the figures. So they don't know. And uh, they found a hospital that has treated no patients at all. But there was a lot of money spent on parties. And so he's not happy about it. They're not happy about it. And so they've kind of reached stalemate. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's another cold day, but it's not as cold as it has been. But around the corner, they say it's going to go down to minus 10 which is sort of probably warmer than other parts of the country, where it's probably dropped a little bit quicker. But as far as I can see, there's no snow forecast or sleet or anything. So you're going to get some sunny intervals. Uh, Today, a thicker cloud band with some showers spreading to Kent from the North Sea. Mainly light winds, but still feeling a little chilly. Uh, The maximum today, 8 degrees centigrade. And for Saturday, variable cloud amounts, but with bright or sunny intervals developing. Most places dry. After any residual isolated showers, decay. Where where did that come from? Showers decaying. Now, I've never heard of showers decaying. A more noticeable easterly breeze developing later. Uh, Maximum temperature tomorrow, 8 degrees and through Sunday to Tuesday. Sunday and Monday, cold, dry with sunny periods. Overnight, inland frost and some fog patches. Tuesday, similar but cloudier, breezier conditions may spread from the west later. But as far as I know, there's no, no mention of snow or sleet or anything else like that at all. So we keep our fingers crossed. It would be, I know it, it would be very, very pretty to see some uh, some snow over the festive season, and I, I suspect we might get some this year, but uh, where it's, where it's going to be, I've got no idea. I thought I knew everything about board games. Snakes and Ladders, Mousetrap, uh, Cluedo, Monopoly, all these things here. I didn't know that there was a board game called Colditz. Um, this is uh, Escape from Colditz, the family board game. <laughs> this was a uh, uh, Colditz was the place, I believe, that uh, they had a tunnelling group who were escaping from Colditz. It was a regular series on the television. And I think Colditz was also the place where we incarcerated one of the German hierarchy. It was Hess not, in, uh, not incarcerated? Rudolf Hess? He was Spandau, was he? I knew he was... Well, I couldn't remember which one he was. He died at Spandau, didn't he, I think? But uh, Colditz is coming back, based on the true story of the Second World War heroics. The game sees players take the role of plucky Allied officers attempting to escape. And um, it was it was launched in 1973. They reckon now it's around £50. Pounds. 
What was it? 50, for a board game? That seems an awful lot of money, doesn't it? Uh, it went out of production in 83, being relaunched to mark the 75th anniversary of the escape by Major Reed, who died in 1990. And uh, this one here says, uh, the, the company says, we wanted to bring back part of British board game history. I'd never even heard of it. Seriously, I was still doing Magic Robot and Operation and stuff like that. The nice, easy things that you can think of, but it's... Um, it's uh, it's not that easy, is it, with board games? But that's what we should be doing over Christmas. But we won't. We'll all slump in front of the television. There'll be something on. On the BBC, it'll just be a repeat. So don't worry. I think 50% of their stuff has been out before. So it's got nothing to do with Christmas. It's just because they can't be bothered to waste the money because they'll be sending people on a jolly to go and do something interesting like the Olympics or just sort of, you know, watching flowers bloom in the Alps or something. Um, Little John, today, vegan. He says, I'm on the five-a-day diet. It's funny, after Nick Ferrari ate a £5 note the other day on air to prove that you don't die, but I don't think it comes down to that. But, I mean, I think it was a case of most people think that vegans and vegetarians are slightly cracked, don't they? They think they are the caftan-wearing, sandal-wearing group of people who don't... It's the, the truth of the matter is they just can't eat a sausage without blushing. It's something like that. They don't, they don't want to enjoy it. But I said yesterday the fact that some people didn't want these £5 notes was because of religion. And so if it's your religious belief, and then we get a bit bogged down with this, and it gets a bit of a bit of a mire through. And um, and we do have slight problems with it, because I reckon this tallow's in loads of things. But it's an infinitesimal infinitesimal amount. It's so it's so tiny, it's almost trace. It's almost trace. And so people get very, very worried about it and they go, Oh, we didn't know about it. I reckon there's loads of things you don't know about. I think there's loads of things you have no idea about the ingredients in something. It isn't until somebody points it out, people go, Oh, and so they then start complaining about it. And so because, as Nick Ferrari said the other day, vegans are all slightly doolally. Um, and apparently half a cow, half a cow was used to make all the fivers. It's tiny, tiny. Oh, look, speck of, speck of dust. That's all it is. But people go, well, we can't do that. And yet you really want to go around there and check what, what shoes they're wearing, all sorts of things. You'll find it all over the place. And tallow is in candles. Must be loads of candles in churches made of tallow. So perhaps people can't get uh, get candles anymore. Um, only one in 25 British Muslims believe Al-Qaeda carried out the 9-11 attack, says a think tank. And uh, staff working for Ken Livingstone celebrated the 9-11 terror attacks, a former advisor has claimed. Atma Singh, who was working for the veteran left-winger when he was London mayor, said some were cheering the events as they watched the atrocity on 2001. The former policy advisor on Asian issues says, as the situation unfolded, I went to the mayoral press office to discover the terrible events. I was disturbed to see a few people cheering the events. I'm hoping that's not true. I'm hoping that's not true. Uh, women graduates earn 18% less than men after five years. And here she is. Yes, mad as a broomstick, Sarah Ferguson. And so she's got loads and loads of, uh, of diets. Uh, the, the latest one is mayo, tomatoes and mandarins. This is the one she's on at the moment. She's been on, on 14 different diets. I mean, she's quite clearly, as I say, either very easily led or a simpleton. Uh, this diet, she says, I became obsessed with food. Luckily, it was it was good and not any other addiction. One therapist told me the size of your bottom has saved your life. <sighs> Try getting around that one. Swiss cheese and wine, early 2016. Uh, I am a gourmet, she said, and I appreciate good wines. Uh, Dole, 
a blend of Pinot Noir and Gamay grapes in particular, and this white wine called Les Murettes, a delight, not to mention the dried meats and cheeses. Her weight went up four stone. <laughs> the fusion blender. She says, I couldn't bear looking at myself a minute longer. Now you know how we feel. The emulsifier is a solution for behavioural change. I've lost 55 pounds and I've kept it off for quite a while. And that's incredible. Every single one of her, her diets has failed. Every single one of them. She yo-yos like every other person yo-yos in the world. She's never going to be thin. She was always destined to be fat Fergie. Frumpy, fat Fergie. That was it. You know, it was all different when she was with Prince Andrew. Now she's getting old and she's still panicking about diet. She's still panicking about it. Whereas, you know, she she tells you all sorts of things. Uh, Walking in circles, uh, she asked her spokesman to make a statement on her behalf. The Duchess is in total control of her physical and mental well-being. Her weight is healthy and is not an issue. Because um, she took up this bonkers therapy that involved walking in two circles... Formations picked out in stones outside the clinic of an alternative heat healer in Byfleet. I mean, she'll, she'll quite clearly jump on any old bandwagon. It depends if they're paying her, I suppose. At the moment, she's advertising a food mixer, I believe, on American television. Thank God it never comes over here. But uh, she claims that she's sort of the dieting guru. She says, I come from a privileged background and have been educated. However, it doesn't matter if you're titled or not. Well, you're not really, are you? They've taken away your HRH, so you're not really anybody at all. You're just a very ordinary person. You can always have weight problems and mood-altering days. Remember when they did a documentary on her, and it turned out that she has post-it notes everywhere to remind her of what to do. Breathe, eat, you know, usual sort of things like that. Uh, Rolf Harris makes the papers today. The family have siphoned £4 million from his business empire. Uh, because they think that there might be possible possible uh, cash claims from victims. So they've taken money out of companies which he owns, which are now looked after by the family. He's going to face another trial next month on seven counts of indecent assault and one of sexual assault on girls and women. And uh, so the family now have taken £4 million, approximately, uh, from his uh, funds. His family drained £2.9 million from a firm called... RHE Investments Limited. He resigned as a director of the firm last year, passed over control to his wife, Alwyn, niece Jennifer and brother Bruce. Now, the company's still worth £2.8 million. But it's a case if you take it away and put it somewhere else, nobody can get their hands on it. On the fiddle, the violinist. Here she is. Yes, we found another one. This one uh, wasted no time. Bethan Docci, D-O-C-I, I presume Docci. And uh, she swindled 360000 nearly from wealthy men by pretending she was dying of cancer. Beth and Dochi conned kind-hearted retirees by setting up an advert on the Craigslist classified ads website, website begging for cash to fund her treatment. Uh, some victims were lured into her web of deceit. She, of course, uh, who used to play with the Royal Shakespeare Company, stayed in five-star hotels, travelled the world with her French lover, and lived a lavish lifestyle. Yesterday, she wept in the dock. Of course, because she's a bent crook and she's been caught. She's been sentenced to 32 months in prison for the fraud. Her victims, all retired men from England, handed over £357,000 over a space of uh, two years, two and a bit years. Uh, She was perfectly healthy. Using forged doctor's notes, she duped... Uh, one chartered accountant out of 170,000 and a retired businessman out of 168,000. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, she should be going to prison for about 15 years. Although the person representing her said she has feelings of true remorse and guilt. She was gaining a professional reputation. She's got one. She's bent. She's a crook. She's a liar. 
There's no chance that she's going to be going anywhere after this. Sarah Vine, Victoria's seedy secret. It's gone from saucy to tawdry. And the tragedy is, she says, it's convincing young women this is the only way to be desirable. Yes, it's very tragic. It's the, it's the vulgar look. The pretty women boots, underwear so tiny it leaves nothing to the imagination. And, uh, and bodies dieted down to nothing. People who, who weigh nothing. Seriously, Sarah Ferguson could be ill looking at these thin people. But uh, if that's how they want to disport themselves, it's, it's fine. It just sends out the wrong message. Victoria's Secret are just page three girls who model in their underwear. Page three kind of goes a little bit further and they get their boobs out. This lot will probably do it if you ask them. They probably, probably, they probably what? Yes. It costs a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't quite understand, though, why why Gigi Hadid and her sister Bella would be hailed as international models for just walking around in their underwear. Looks a bit tarty and cheap, actually. Poor souls. It's very nice, you know, if, you, if you're modelling for a catalogue. But, you know, this sort of stuff here, this is what hookers wear. Work in the Reaper barn. You know, these sort of thigh-length boots. Nobody goes out wearing this kind of trash. This is seriously bad news. So it was saucy. Now it's just sad and tawdry. So we have to go along. Uh, Libby Purvis... Move to Saturdays. Midweek is scrapped, apparently. Well, I have to hold my hands up and say I've got no idea what it is. But uh, it's been scrapped. Did it go every day, midweek? Or was it just one show? Obviously, we don't know. We don't know anything about this. But poor old Libby Purvis has been moved. Uh, after 35 years of being on air. Lord. Slightly worrying, isn't it? Slightly worrying. <laughs> and, uh, and the other story is the Costa del Ryanair. Budget flight firm to sell holidays. But will you have to pay to use the toilet? They're a bit like that, aren't they, at Ryanair? That was the man who said, the, the, Michael, who said um, that w- what he'd actually like to do is sort of make flights cheap, uh, in fact, almost non-existent, and charge the airports. Which seems to work, doesn't it, really? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Very interesting, actually. Somebody says, we always play board games at Christmas. Well, we haven't for ages. We haven't for ages. It's mainly because you've got to clear the dining room table. Because you can't play it any... We used to play it when we were on the floor. You know, you'd lie on the floor as kids. But then you get a bit older. And it, it's all got to be done with military precision. So when we used to do it, you'd lay the board game out. you put, OK, uh, Satsumas, Bowl of Nuts and Quality Street. OK, we're ready now? OK, does anybody want a drink before we start? And so you have to go through this, this charade. So by the time you actually get round to the game, it's always a blessed relief, isn't it? And then somebody goes, oh, Sound of Music's on the television. Is it? Quick. Abandon the board game. Go watch the Sound of Music. Dick Whittington is in pantomime. You've probably got your own pantomimes in your neck of the woods with all the celebrities. Uh, At Wimbledon, it's Matthew Kelly, Arlene Phillips and Tim Vine. Mind you, over at the... um, Over at... Where are we here? The Barbican. On the 22nd of December and the 23rd of December, Ali Jones is singing a packed... Stage of superb artists for a wonderful concert of music and carols. He's got an album out. We probably fail to notice that, but he has got an album out where Alid Jones sings with himself. Because when he came in for In Conversation, we, we talked about that. So uh, congratulations to him. Uh, also, they've got The Sound of the Musicals with uh, Kerry Ellis, Graham Bickley, uh, Joanna Ampill and Oliver Tomset. Plus, I noticed as well, Dirty Dancing is back and E.T. in Concert at the, uh, the Royal Albert Hall, with a live orchestra, the Royal Philharmonic. So what they will do, they, they did it with Jurassic Park, didn't they? And what they do, they show the film, but the orchestra are playing live. I've seen, I've seen a few over the, over the years. Uh, it's very good. You just, sometimes you're sort of strangely drawn from sort of looking at the screen to looking down at the orchestra. Like, if ever I go to the theatre, I, I like to watch. And, of course, my, my, my favourite is, um, is The Phantom of the Opera where you watch the orchestra 
And, of course, there is a bit in the overture, which is playback. And so you sort of go... Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. And they do all this kind of bits of it. And you look down, nobody's playing. Nobody's playing. It's on click track. The orchestra pick up with dun, 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 dun. That's it. But the rest of it is all is all playback, which I like, actually. I'm always interested in things like that. Uh, I don't know why I mentioned it, actually. There's no particular reason. However, on the 12th of December, an intimate evening will take place at the Hippodrome here in London, a Frank Matcham Theatre. Now it's uh, it's a casino with a restaurant and a lovely theatre. In fact, also Lee Mead is uh, played loads. Everybody's played there. It's a lovely little theatre. It holds about 220 people. And uh, we sold tickets uh, via the Hippodrome's website for this event on the 12th of December, which is Steve Allen in Conversation Live. It's where you get me uh, looking as dashing and as slim as I can possibly look, if I can lose that amount of weight in a few days, uh, on stage for about an hour. Uh, it'll be nice. Uh, it starts at 7 o'clock, finishes at 8pm, probably roughly, you know, rough guide on that one. Uh, and we've got left uh, one private booth, which is the best seats in the house. Uh, this booth is £750, uh, but it's for five people. So it's it's up close and personal. In fact, if you play your cards right, I'd come and sit with you. Um, and you get your choice of drinks as well. And there's a meet and greet after the show. All proceeds go to Global's Make Some Noise. The doors open at six o'clock. Uh, you can either get tickets at lbc.co.uk or you can call the Hippodrome direct on 0207 769 so no admittance after 6.45. And due to the fact that the venue is a casino, the event is open to over 18s only. If you're lucky enough to look under 25, you must bring a photo ID. So, of course, I've had my photo taken already. There's my photo ID. I don't think you look old enough, Steve, to be in here. Thank you very much indeed. Off I go again. No more Botox for me. So uh, if you're planning on coming, we'd love to see you. Check out the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, or call the Hippodrome on 0207 769 And that's for the 12th of December, OK? Which is a week, uh, a week this coming Monday. Oh, Lord, the time creeps on. Uh, now, you know, I can't tell you what the, what the evening will contain. Might be mild references to nudity and that sort of thing like that. <laughs> that sells a ticket. Why not, for goodness sake? And uh, and we'll uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. I know lots of people are coming. Uh, we used to play Monopoly, says the producer, but uh, it always takes hours and always ends up in an argument. I know. So, but I owned that. No, you didn't. I had houses on it. You landed on Mayfair. Of course, the easiest ones to get were the Whitechapel and things, and then the Angel Islington, and then the ones around the corner, the Pall Mall, and then there were the yellow ones after that, and then there was green. I can't remember where they all went, actually, on the board. Anyway, you ended up... Nobody ever landed on Mayfair. They kind of... Just get, you know, oh, a £1,000. Oh, you've gone past me. Community chest. Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 quid. I love it. And you know there's a really super-duper version with gold pieces that you move around the board, and it's... I mean, it's, it's quite flash. I used to like it. Monopoly was one of our favourite games. I never did Snakes and Ladders. One, two, three, four... Oh, down the blasted... There, there is a Basingstoke version of Monopoly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, they do it for lots of different places. The Basingstoke one just comes in a paper bag. You don't sort of get a, a board or anything like that. You just get bits of cardboard and some pencils and you just colour it in. I think, the, I think the Hounslow one is very similar as well. And uh, uh, have they not made a Basingstoke one? They will after this programme. 
They will. Is there a Twickenham vert? No, there isn't. We used to have a, a shop in Twickenham which sold everything made in Twickenham, and that, and that ceased. I was a little bit disturbed. But I, as I say, yesterday I did go to Kingston. I'm going to recommend that my boss go to Kingston. I'm going to say to him, you go to Kingston. Because it's lovely. They've got all little pop-up booths all the way down the main high street. The market, you can buy overpriced sausages, which is lovely. I don't, you know, it's, it's a treat once a year, for goodness sake. But uh, it was very pretty, very pretty, and I quite liked it. It'd be better with snow on the ground, but I'm not going to worry too much about it. So the papers this morning, full of, uh, full of farewell Manuel, king of, uh, king of crackpot comedy. He's hamster, Mr Faulty. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a rat. No, no, no. Man say Siberian hamster. Cuddle this, you'll never play the guitar again, Manuel. And uh, he was hapless, but he was lovely. He did, he did do a programme on the BBC, and it was like um, teaching people uh, Spanish, because people thought he was Spanish. He wasn't. He wasn't Spanish at all. But he's been very ill for four years, very, very ill. And he'd been in a wheelchair, and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't talking or anything like that. And that's sad, isn't it? That's very sad. So he's, he's the first of our casualties, ladies and gentlemen, this year, the first of our big showbiz casualties. I suspect there might be some more. And uh, it gives me no pleasure to tell you that, but it's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? But they've done a, a super piece in the paper today. They had a last picture of him uh, with his gorgeous wife. Uh, she suffered acute stress nursing him, as indeed uh, you would. She is gone on record by saying, my sadness, I never got to hit Jonathan Ross for what he did to him. And uh, I agree. I shouldn't imagine he cares less. I shouldn't imagine he cares less. It's it's tragic, really, isn't it, that they would do something like that. It was lovely, absolutely lovely. Prunella Scales, Connie Boo, the series written by John and uh, and Connie. And then once they'd actually seen him, I think in Habeas Corpus, which was a piece that used to d- do the rounds at the theatre, they then decided, John Cleese said, he was he was the person who was going to play Manuel. And it was it was just beautifully crafted. It had every every offensive thing in it you could ever think of. But it's only when you watch it back you suddenly realise. But it was it was just lovely. And they only made 12 episodes, and that's why it's gone on in our memory. He wanted to make Manuel a German. That was Andrew wanted to make him a German, but they said, no, 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 Spanish. And uh, he may be the place I can't forget. <laughs> he sit there in his little bedroom. It was just lovely, and every time, poor Manuel got it, didn't he? Everything that went wrong in the hotel, it was always Manuel's fault. And uh, even though they actually tried to palm it off on other people and pretend it was their fault, everybody knew that it was Manuel who was going to get it. But uh, what a legacy to leave. What a legacy to leave. But, um, you know, his wife, uh, Melody, you should be extremely proud, which I'm sure she is, of, uh, of the affection that the British public held him in. You know, he's been imitated. Still people now do it. Don't you remember John Cleese was trying to stop these people doing faulty towers? They do it, they invite people in and then just behave badly and everything else. But uh, only one Manuel... And we don't have him anymore. Died at the age of 86. Um, a lot of people telling me about this uh, this Colditz game, which apparently you seem to know about. I can't believe... we. I grew up in the in the era of board games, and I've got no idea how I kind of missed it. Mind you, it didn't, doesn't actually sound the most exciting, does it, really? And uh, somebody says, can you say in a Spanish voice, I know nothing? Oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't do requests, actually. I'm sorry. It's not some casual request programme, I ask you. And... Um, Steve here, Kylie Minogue is returning to Royal Albert Hall on the 9th and 10th of December for a Kylie Christmas. Did it last year. Apparently she's got a new version of her CD, Kylie Christmas, which is out now as well. Very original, isn't it? Kylie's Christmas. What's her name? Kylie. Oh, right. And what, what time of year is it? Christmas. So Kylie Christmas. Very original. 
I know nothing. No, we shouldn't do things like that. It's bad. Uh, so, also, the other story that was in the paper, this insight into how some cost-cutting airlines are making pilots work longer hours than ever before. So we'll talk about that very, very shortly. Coming up to the news at six o'clock this Friday morning. Uh, still to come, we'll have a um, couple of clips of two of the guests who are going to be with me for In Conversation this week, which is tomorrow morning between 6 and 7 a.m. and then repeated on Sunday evening between 9 and 10. I can tell you uh, who they are now. One is the fabulous Jo Malone. She has a book out about her humble beginnings. I mean, from the age of 11, she was making things in the family kitchen on a council estate. And she's risen up to have uh, her own company, which is Joe Loves. Uh, Joe Malone, she sold out uh, some years ago to Estee Lauder, who offered the best deal. And uh, then she became ill. We'll tell you the whole story with Joe Malone. And the other guest this week is Ken Hom. And I promise you, that's a riveting listen as well. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Sarah Olney dramatically beating the incumbent, Zach Goldsmith. Nick uh, Ferrari at breakfast will be discussing what that means for Brexit and the expansion of Heathrow Airport. I mean, that was a night of surprises. So Zach now out of politics. Uh, Getting no work done. Noisy colleagues. Unfortunately, I have to hold my hand up for that one. Uh, Farewell, Manuel. 86, Andrew Sachs. Passes on. Crooks hacking your credit card in six seconds. Migrant numbers hitting a new record. And Chelsea's in the dock. The club have been accused of hushing up child sex abuse claims. And they paid money out, apparently. Somebody says they were paid money, uh, provided they didn't say anything. Oh, and whiplash. Get caught out. Big fine. It was a couple of cheap crooks who thought they would try the uh, the con of, of whiplash. Unfortunately, they were then caught on television on Sky playing rugby, having already lied to a judge by saying that they couldn't actually uh, play rugby and they couldn't do anything at all. And it was awful. It was terrible. And um, and they were asking for £17,000 each pair of uh, pair of numpties. Anyway, uh, they've been fined £20,000. <laughs> on the subject of Colditz, uh, the game, uh, Phil Vickery says we had the Colditz game. You had to try and escape. I'm, I'm assuming that would be the case. It was produced by Gibsons, uh, then licensed to Parker, who had lots of games out, based on the prisoner of war camp um, at Colditz Castle. Two to six players. Always two to six players, wasn't it? Although somebody told me uh, very nicely about... Um, we, we had a, a slight problem with Monopoly. There were different versions. There's the... I don't know if you've, you've heard the fact the, the Liverpool version of Monopoly, which was awful. All the pieces got stolen, some of the houses burnt down, everybody was skint, and then they all went to prison. So, uh, <laughs> sweeping generalisation of the Liverpool. <laughs> Every card said go to jail. <laughs> I should have thought of that beforehand, shouldn't I, really? I should like it. I didn't understand Community Chest. Community, what was the other one? Community Chest and Chance. That's right. They were, but you're right. Every single one says you, you will go to prison. Oh, aye, aye. No, sorry, it didn't sound Liverpool, did it? Yeah, we've got Cheryl also. But that reminded me of um, of the, the motor racing, which actually took uh, took place. They were doing the, um, what do they call it? Is it the European Grand Prix? But they were doing it, apparently, in Liverpool. And they reckoned they found a team who could actually get the car into the pits, strip it, repaint it, rebrand it, retire it, and have it out in less than five minutes. That's what I thought was a bargain. Anyway, now we've done the sweeping generalisations. And how are we all this morning, apart from being cold? I feel sorry for anybody who's having their heating refixed at the moment. You do worry, don't you? You think, oh, please don't break. 
Please don't break down in winter. Not in winter when it gets cold. I might have to go out and buy. I keep seeing all these radiators, but they're so expensive to run. Seriously. My, my brother's place used to be freezing. Then we bought him this thing. It's now sitting in a sauna. It's way, way too hot. Way too hot. Minus 10, the killer freeze set for the weekend. My advice is, if you, you know, get a hat. It doesn't matter how silly you look. Get a scarf. It doesn't matter how silly you look. Get a big coat on. It doesn't matter how silly you look. Nobody cares. Listen, nobody's wandering around in freezing cold temperatures going, oh, you look attractive, you look att- oh, you don't look very attractive. Nobody's saying that. They're all too busy. Get some gloves. Get some gloves. If you suffer from, from any sort of uh, illnesses, Raynaud's or anything like that, get gloves. Because otherwise you'll be, you'll be suffering quite, quite badly. And I don't want to see anybody suffering. And I like the idea of all the pieces got stolen. Uh, a good board game is Sorry. I don't know that one, actually. I don't know. So there was, I used to know a couple of years ago, we used to do a lot of board games on LBC, especially around the festive season, and they invented lots of board games, so all sorts of board games that they invented. So every time they invented one, we would talk about it on the programme. And I would take some of them home for Christmas, and some we'd play and some we wouldn't play. But you tend to gravitate, don't you, back to the ones you remember from your childhood. I'm just as happy with a pack of cards. Playing, what was it, Newmarket. That was a very good game. Or... Snap. That was very good. Snap. I said it first. No, you didn't. I did. Always arguments over Christmas. <laughs> Always arguing. And then you get halfway through Monopoly. And then your mother goes, I've just got to go to the toilet. And so you all have to sit there. You're not allowed to touch anything. No, I mean, Trivial Pursuit, I thought, was a bit boring. I, su- I know it sold millions and it made the, uh, the inventors of it super, super rich. I just, I just, uh, Blackpool Monopoly is very similar to the Liverpool Monopoly. Except you don't start with a board. That's already gone. Somebody's nicked that before you've even taken it out of the case. Uh, 84850, uk. I'm going to get into terrible trouble this morning, but I don't really care, actually. I mean, am I in such a festic mood? A festive mood, not festic mood. This would sound like I'm festering this morning. But uh, from Chris Brown, uh, romantic Basildon, and uh, he says, board games go much deeper than the classics. I run a gaming club in Essex called the Basildon War Boys. A lot of week goes by when I uh, discover a new board or card game. Oh, right. See, it's obviously, it's obviously bigger than we thought, isn't it, really? Uh, funny you should mention games and coldits, because in 1991, a friend at the time was programming it as a video game at Digital Magic Software based in Widness. Which is Cheshire, isn't it? Widness and Cheshire, is it? I think so. Uh, Gibson Games made the board game. The games company went bust, but the owners went on to make the original FIFA games. You see, I tell you, the one thing I hated, it, it was only if you were interested in football, you liked it. And that was um, uh, Sabutio. Gosh, truth, honestly, your fingers ended up being cut out. Yeah, flick. Ow! It was so painfully awful. The only thing I liked is the fact that it had um, um, little lights that you could make so you could floodlight your game. I just had the lights. I didn't bother with the players. Because flicking them, and they go, oh, dear, no. Seriously, it could break nails and stuff like that. It was terrible. I didn't have... Phil asked me if I had the Totopoly, the horse racing game. The only game I can remember with horse racing was a piece of bays. Green bays. You put your metal horses on, which I think were lead, covered with lead paint, I think. And you turned the handle and the vibration moved your horse along the green mat. They do a version up at the uh, Winter Wonderland. You see horses there, and you've got to quickly get the balls in the hole to make the horse move along. It's very tedious. Um, and you can win sort of like a seven-foot teddy. You know, 
They've got it on Brighton Pier over there. It's the same sort of thing. It's obviously a, it's a big winner because I hate any games up at the fun fairs where the whole stall is festooned with teddy bears and everything else. So you've got to get a ball into a thing and then they give you a token. How many do you need? 300 to get a teddy bear or whatever it is. And, and you see people, stag- I'm sure they work there, staggering around with a six-foot teddy in their arms. You think, where are you going to put that? You're going home on the bus. We had a woman on the bus the other day. Oh. God, chatter, 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 on her phone. These conversations on the telephones that people have on the bus are seriously... You could have it at any time. Why do they have to have it in front of other people? I had a bloke sitting behind me on the bus yesterday. Oh, yeah, hi. Um, Dave, yeah. Is is he in? Because he... I, I tried calling yesterday. I'm sitting there thinking, why don't you just lean back, mate, and put a sock in it? You know, I'm just... Uh, yeah? OK. Oh, well, I tell you, uh, he's, he's out, is he, again? I thought, he doesn't want to speak to you. You're not getting the message, are you? He doesn't like you, quite clearly. I don't like you, and I don't even know you. And, and he was sort of saying, yeah. And I tell you, do you want to get him, him to phone me? I'm thinking, terminate this call in a minute, or I'm seriously going to have one of, my, one of my major fits. And he said, OK, uh, I'll wait till I hear from him. I thought, you won't hear from him. He doesn't like you. That's why he's not talking to you. Whenever you get through, he said, because I, I couldn't get through to him the other day. He hates you. Meanwhile, the other woman's still going, yes, and we were having a, a party. I bought loads of things. And then she starts getting the things out of the bags that she's bought to see what they do. One of them was a clock, a talking clock, telling her how to advance the time. It was really tedious. And you feel like saying, I'm sorry, do you have a life? Mind you, I'll probably be doing it today. I shall do it today. Oh, don't forget, we've got a couple of clips coming up in a minute. Two super, super guests for In Conversation this week. I know I say it every week, and I'm never wrong. And uh, this week, the fabulous Joe Malone. And she really was fabulous. She was so nice. She even said at the end of the interview, we, we get it all the time. I don't want to be sort of big-headed about it. She said, I really enjoyed that interview. She sent me a lovely card and everything, which was lovely. And Ken Holm, who's always a delight. Always a delight. So we've got them for this weekend, and we'll have some clips for you this morning. Uh, somebody says, you think that was bad, you sitting on the train yesterday. Try a train conking out just before Norberton train station, stuck there for hours. Oh, drives me mad. It was when they turned all the lights off. When, when they turned all the lights off, on, and I remember thinking, am I going to be stuck here or failing that? They're going to turn all the lights off and the train is going to move into a siding. And I'm going to be stuck there for, for weeks on I, I was trying to work out who I would phone. The police. Hello? I'm on a train. OK, sir, well done. No, I'm in a siding. I'm stuck. Mike says, you mentioned getting your own back on Russell Brand. One look at him will confirm to you that nature has beaten us to it. A poor excuse for a human being. Yes. I don't think Andrew Sachs or his wife Melody ever forgave them for what they did to him. Uh, I really, I just thought it was the worst thing ever. I think uh, Mr Ross got suspended for three months. <laughs> Means nothing, does it? And uh, Russell Brand, I don't know, disappeared into the place he came from, actually, which is, um, which is oblivion. Terrible, terrible thing to do to somebody. Absolutely terrible. Uh, a lot of people telling me about the board games. I'm amazed how many of you do play board games. I'm quite... Uh, I'm quite uh, quite pleased about that. He said, do houses on the Blackpool Monopoly have plastic flowers out the front? Yes. And uh, another one here. We used to play a racing game called Escalado. I think that might be the same one, actually. I think Escalado could be the same, could be the same game, actually, as the, as the other one, which is the horses made out of lead. And, and you turn the handle and it vibrates and then they sort of move up there. Okay. Uh, Coming up between now and uh, seven, we'll give you a sneaky peek of what's coming up in in conversation. Plus, we'll cross to Twickenham, where LBC's political editor Theo Usherwood is dangerously close to where I live. 
If he sounds like he's broadcasting from my kitchen, you'll know about it. But he's been at the count of the crucial Richmond Park by-election, so we'll speak to him a little bit uh, later on. And we take um, lots of your texts and emails. 84850 steve at lbc.co.uk. Phil says, dear Ken, lovely, lovely man, good friends. We had lunch recently in Paris. He's lovely. Absolutely charming. All the times I've done him, he's really, really nice. So we'll have a little clip from him coming up in a moment, and then you get the interview over the weekend. And the lovely Joe Malone as well. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Still to come, Theo Usherwood, who's down in uh, Twickenham. So we were Lib Dem, and then uh, we lost it with Vince Cable, and, because we've been Lib Dem for years. And then we went Conservative, and we're back Lib Dem again. And... Uh, and uh, in Richmond. So uh, we'll talk about that with Theo in about uh, 15 minutes' time. Uh, my first guest on In Conversation this weekend has written 36 books, which have been translated into more than 16 languages, presented numerous cookery programmes, and a staggering one in eight of us, on average, own one of his products. He's now written his autobiography, which details his rise from working in his uncle's restaurant at the age of 11 for 30 pence a day to becoming widely regarded as one of the world's greatest authorities on oriental cooking. It's Ken Hom. He tells me stir-fry is a quick and easy way to produce a meal in minutes. The great thing about stir-frying at home is that if you don't want to go out, uh, as you said, you have bits of vegetables left over, you can cook them so quickly. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of young people sort of living on their own, and uh, we have smaller families now. And flats are getting smaller. They're not getting bigger. Yeah, aren't they just? Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So having one pan that does everything yeah. is, is really fantastic. But you've got to remember, and this was a bit I could never get my head around, you've got to season a wok. Well, that's only if you have a carbon steel Yes, wok. you've got a carbon steel wok. Yes. If you have one of those so non-stick ones, non-stick you're all right. Ones, you're all right. And uh, you know what? I always say the carbon steel wok is for really serious cooks. Are you serious? <laughs> Do I look serious, Ken? No. You look fun, though. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. Yeah. I would like to be able to, I'd love to be able to cook. I yes. mean, I've, I've got lots of books and I've got friends who cook and stuff like that. And I know lots of people who've got restaurants. But at the end of the day, I think you've got to love it so much yes. that that's where you're happiest. Right. I'm the one sitting in the sitting room with a bottle of Prosecco. I... Waiting quietly <laughs> until somebody says the food's ready, Steve. And then I go in there. That, that's, that's the bit I like. Yes. But I love watching you chopping food because it's, it's the size of the food that makes it cook quickly. You know, it's quite therapeutical. Really? Yes. What, cutting? Yeah, cutting. I always worry. These, yes. these machetes look no. quite dangerous <laughs> to me. But I've, I've, I've seen you using them on many times on the TED, many, many times over the years, because, we've, because we didn't have anybody else. You know, now we do see more cookery programmes, more right. Chinese cookery programmes. And I think it's because we're still fascinated by it. Yes, well, you know, it's one of this country's most popular food. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, I mean, I think... Chinese is part of the DNA of uh, yes. British life. Absolutely. I could, seriously, I love China. I love watching people cook it on the television, because, but it's these huge machetes that kind of frighten me. That's uh, the TV chef Ken Hom, who's with me this weekend for In Conversation. Now, as well as Ken, I'll be talking to an entrepreneur. She struggled as a teenager with dyslexia, left school with no qualifications, but thanks to her keen sense of smell, along with an ability to create sought-after scent, she's become one of the world's most successful business women. It's Jo Malone. She told me she never dreamt of having the success she's managed to achieve. When I started out, I could never have dreamed I'd even be sitting here now or writing a book or the things that I've gone... You know, I was made an honorary professor of a university two weeks ago, and I remember standing there thinking, how did I get here? Yes, exactly. You know, no qualifications, 
15 years old and just but that is what life is about this wonderful moments that that take your the lot your life journey and you turn left and right and it really changes the whole perspective yeah i do get lots of letters um i write a column for the evening standard every monday so i get lots and lots and lots of letters some of them really heartrending actually mm. where people have either built a business and they're struggling or they want to know how to move to the next level and but there's this common thread through all of them and it's this passion resilience and creativity those three words and you see that time and time and time again it doesn't matter where in the country they come from whether they're from a man or from a woman or from a company it's all that same thing trying to build something for the future that's really good when do you slow down now when is that period where you go right now i'm unwinding for the festive season uh, Christmas Eve. Oh right. <laughs> Christmas Eve. I'll I'll wind That'll down. That'll be it. No, but come on, being a shopkeeper at Christmas, it is lovely, wonderful, yeah. and I love Christmas, so I'm not going to moan. The summer, I take four weeks, and I don't pick up a book or take a telephone call within that time. All Fri Friday. Friday night dinner, I t all phones are off. Sit down, have family dinner, and certainly in the evenings, I have when we sit down and we eat together as a family. I don't want any phone calls. Nothing at all. I'm, that's where I'm focused and what I want to. Because otherwise, you take one call, your mind starts to wander. And you know what? Nothing is more important than your family and taking time out and being with friends. Such a nice lady. Seriously, such a nice, nice person. You're going to love the conversation. She's very down to earth, very grounded. And I did say to her at one point in the interview, I said, Do you, I mean, you are the inspiration from people saying, are there, are there new entrepreneurs now? Is it still possible for somebody to come up with something and be an entrepreneur? Look at her. When you hear the interview, she started at 11. At 11, she was with this Contessa who was teaching her about smells and ingredients and things like that. And she could tell if something was off. She could smell something. But the time she got to 12, she was turning out her own products at that age. So when they sat down on the kitchen floor, I think it was, or the sitting room floor, her and a friend, they designed the, uh, the packaging, which has now become synonymous uh, with, with good quality products. And it's, it's a way of selling it. She's very inspirational. Very, very inspirational. So she's in conversation with me this weekend, along with our good friend, TV chef Ken Hom. And that'll be tomorrow morning from 6 after the best of Steve Allen. If you can't make it then, you get another chance on Sunday evening from 9. And you can download it all from the LBC podcast app for your mobile or tablet. So Joe Malone and Ken Hom tomorrow morning on LBC. Let's hope the weather's going to be kind to us. We've got rugby in Twickenham. So, as usual, I'm getting out as quickly as possible. Don't like to hang around too much on rugby days. And I'll be arriving back in Twickenham just as, as the game kicks off. Because otherwise you get completely befuddled with the amount of traffic that we've got round there. Uh, another one here. Somebody says the Escalada game was uh, quite noisy. Was it? Was the Escalada game? Somebody talked about the uh, the football and not Sabutio, but another one called Super Striker, that you tap the player's head and the right foot kicked the ball. You sort of pushed down on it, didn't you? It didn't last as long as heavy-handed kids broke the necks or legs, says Brian, who's in Southern. I remember that one vaguely. I remember it, but I just don't... Uh, mm. uh, Amanda says, I saw the racing game Escalado in my local charity shop for 20 quid a couple of weeks ago. Have you seen the prices in charity shops? Twickenham is the home of the charity shop. We seem to have every charity shop under the sun because it's a way of uh, making money after people donate things, and uh, but they know the value of it. Years ago, they'd go, oh, give us a pound. No, everything's barcoded. You go into any charity shop now. I told you, we had a doll's house, a rather tatty doll's house in one of them. They were looking for £495. 
Within two weeks, they'd actually brought the price down, and then it vanished. I'm hoping somebody set fire to it. Ghastly. Ridiculous. They're supposed to be cheap, these things. Supposed to be really, really cheap, but they turn out not to be, which is a shame. And uh, the board games, the reason we mention board games is because they're bringing back the board game Colditz, uh, where you can escape. It never interested me, actually, at all. But uh, £20, if you'd kept it, Amanda, just think just think how, how quids in you would be. If you'd bought all these games when you were little and you'd save them as opposed to playing with them, you'd have perfect games. It's like, I wish years and years ago, the one thing I wish I'd bought... Uh, I did have them, but I played with them, is the Chipperfield Circus from Corgi. And it came with lorries and uh, all sorts of that. And you could play endless... How we played with it, I've got no idea. But uh, I had the whole set. You look at them now, they run into serious money. Four figures. Four figures to get some of the Chipperfield Circus stuff again. And uh, cars, which become very collectible. I had loads of them. Models of yesteryear in their boxes. And then when you leave home, they just get thrown out or given to charity shops or given to other kids to play with. And uh, and so you you think to yourself, if I kept them, I'd be a very, very rich person, a very rich person. After the uh, the news and the travel, we shall cross over to Twickenham, where LBC's political editor Theo Usherwood is camped outside my front door. Probably. I don't know. We'll have to put out an all points warning. He'll round up the big event from the Richmond Park by-election where there's been something of a of a shock result. All of that coming up very, very shortly. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Steve Allen with you until seven this morning. We go through the uh, the front pages of the papers before we finish this morning, just so you know uh, where we're coming from. Uh, and I think you'll know most of the stories that we're going to be covering. But of course, as we uh, heard in the news with Simon Conway, the Lib Dems, Sarah Olney, has pulled off a shock and become Britain's latest MP after beating Zach Goldsmith in the Richmond Park by-election. LBC's political editor... Theo Usherwood has been at the count overnight and has got all the big stories for us now. Theo, good morning. Uh, good morning, Steve. It was quite a shock, wasn't it? We weren't expecting uh, this result because, of course, Zach Goldsmith had a majority going into this by-election of 23,000. Uh, he knew he'd have a fight on his hands because, of course, he didn't have the Conservative Party machine behind him. He resigned his seat, as he said he would do, if Theresa May decided to press ahead with plans for a third runway at Heathrow. Uh, therefore, he, at the end of October, he he triggered the by-election. He stood down and st- uh, stood down as a Conservative member and then came back, said he'd fight it as, a, as an independent. And it was... Uh, he wanted it to be on Heathrow. He said at the very beginning it's going to be a referendum on Heathrow. The only big... Uh, problem for Mr Goldsmith was, of course, that his two rivals, uh, Sarah Olney and the uh, Christian Warmer, the Labour candidate, both agreed with him that there shouldn't be expansion at Heathrow Airport. So the Liberal Democrats were then able to sort of, if you like, make Heathrow a dead rubber of a topic and turn it on to uh, the issue of our membership of the European Union. And if you like it, they wanted it to be a a mini referendum, a mini second referendum on whether we, Brexit, as Theresa May put it, should mean uh, Brexit. And they were very successful at doing that. And this is a constituency, uh, Richmond Park and North Kingston, where 70, 72% even uh, of voters uh, voted to remain in that referendum. And they were able to make that the cornerstone uh, issue of this by-election. Uh, and on that basis, managed to uh, squeeze Mr Goldsmith out. And in the end... Miss Olney, Sarah Olney, didn't just uh, cover his majority, make up the majority of 23,000. She also piled on 1,800 of her own votes on top of that. Mm. Uh, And uh, and this for the Liberal Democrats, um, they see this as a 
as a real springboard now uh, to, uh, to to greater things. And, and, and if there are further by-elections, uh, particularly in, in seats with relatively affluent seats like Richmond Park, I'm sure they'll be they'll be fighting them with renewed hope that they could actually win and add to their nine MPs. What's interesting with Sarah Olney is that a year and a half ago she wasn't even involved in politics. She'd never even been involved in a political campaign. She wasn't a member of any party. But deep down, she says, I knew I was a liberal. <laughs> yes, she's a, a mother of two, uh, a trained accountant, um, 39 years old, and uh, very much an outsider. But uh, there was some speculation uh, at the beginning of the campaign, because she obviously fought it uh, in 2015, there was some speculation um, that uh, the, the Liberal Democrats might sort of, at the beginning of this campaign, thought that they might just sort of shove her to one side and bring in, parachute in, a much more high-profile candidate rather than uh, letting her contest the seat. Of course, in 2015, uh, this was given Zach's previous popularity you know still popular in some quarters here it was seen as uh, uh, as a seat that would be difficult for the Lib Dems to win back but this time around uh, with with Sarah they they obviously felt that it'd be too difficult to uh, try and remove her and replace her with a you know perhaps Vince Vince Cable could have uh, come back there was some talk about that but they decided that was all too difficult they'd stick with Sarah and they threw everything at this uh, campaign. Tim Farron, the leader, was down here. Nick Clegg was down here. Paddy Ashdown, uh, Susan Kramer, all the all the big wigs within the Liberal Democrat Party came down to try and uh, help her win, and it, and it paid off. What now for Zach Goldsmith? I mean, he must be quite gutted, I should imagine. He's worth around £300 million. So financially, I think he's he's <laughs> going to be OK. Um, uh, the... He, he, I think he probably earns around as, as much. An MP salary is seventy-four thousand yeah. pounds. Uh, I'm sure the interest on that trust fund covers the seventy-four thousand pounds comfortably. In fact, I know it does. It's about twenty times as much as that. Um, but so, so he doesn't have to worry about the, the the finances. But there's a question, I think, about what he does next in terms of he ha- he saw being an MP very much as a vocation. He wanted it was something he wanted to do to represent his community here. Uh, he has. This is where his uh, roots are in Richmond. Uh, And he's been a vociferous campaigner, of course, against the third runway at Heathrow Airport. Uh, The best place to have done that would have been in Parliament uh, as an MP. But that's no longer possible, obviously. So he now has to find another platform. I'm sure he he said even in his uh, concession speech, which was very gracious, uh, that he intended to continue the fight against Heathrow and continue. He was also a keen environmentalist and has always... Uh, champion greener forms of, of living, uh, greener forms of uh, approaching life, um, and and I'm sure he'll be he'll find another way of coming back. But obviously, he won't have the high profile mm. that he's had previously uh, as a as a parliamentarian. It's still a bit of a a bit of a sort of a downer for him, really, because he was obviously pinning everything on it, and he's he's quite a likable sort of chap. I did see Diane Abbott on television saying, "Oh, he doesn't need to worry because, as you point out, he's got loads of money." I don't think it comes down to the money. I think it comes down to a feeling of pride and what you can achieve. Absolutely. So, if 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 I was if I gave the impression uh, earlier that it was about the money, it was I, I, I wasn't meaning to do that. He does have uh, he does see being a parliamentarian uh, very much, as you say, Steve, as as a vocation, as a calling, and he he, he worked fantastically hard in this uh, in this community and is and and was seen. This this isn't natural. Richmond has been you know a Tory seat over the years, but this was wasn't necessarily natural conservative in recent years uh, 
turf. It needed somebody who was able to uh, cross the, you know, bridge the political divides, if you like, to be as successful as Mr Goldsmith. You couldn't stick any old Tory MP in here and expect them to, you know, see their majority top 23,000. He had, obviously, the, he very, you know, very strong on the environment. That helped him win over Greens. And seen as a uh, a soft, uh, a softer Tory uh, compared to some of his counterparts. Uh, the Merrill camp, the Merrill campaign against Sadiq Khan took a lot out of him, without a doubt. And and there were those, of course, critics. Christian Walmart, the Labour candidate, somewhat ungraciously referred to uh, the campaign as uh, toxifying uh, Zach's Zach's brand, if you like, going into uh, this by-election. Actually, that wasn't from people I've been speaking to really uh, necessarily the issue um, on the doorstep with people. Uh, the issue was uh, was much more to do with, uh, and this is the reason Liberal Democrats were successful, was much more to do with uncertainty about leaving the European Union. And many people here in Richmond work in the financial services sector uh, when the Prime Minister stands up and says... Brexit means Brexit and alludes to the fact that the single market and the, our membership of the customs union may be on the line in order to secure strict controls on uh, the number of EU migrants coming to the UK. They don't like it and they get worried about it. And, and I think the Lib Dems are a right to say that actually that was the key issue. And then, of course... The other, the the Labour soft pedal this election. They put up Mr. Warmer, who is probably not their. Well, it's fair to say he wouldn't be their strongest uh, strongest card to play in a by election mm. like this. You then had the Greens stepping aside, uh, and you, it, the Lib Dems quite successfully managed to create a quote unquote progressive alliance uh, against uh, Zach Goldsmith. He wasn't helped by the fact that UKIP said that they supported him, which of course again turn the issue back onto Brexit when he wanted to be talking about mm. uh, Heathrow Airport. Uh, it was if you like a way of something out. It was a perfect storm for Mr Absolutely. Goldsmith. It just everything seemed to go against him in this by-election and that's why he ended up losing. Interesting. Well, I, I don't know how you've managed to stay awake all night, to be honest with you. I mean, it's the, been the, fascinating. It has. The, the only good news was the fact they actually declared earlier than people <laughs> thought they were going to declare. Yes, the, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't the squabble that we usually no. see over ballots because, of course, the, the majority was it was fairly clear cut in the end. It absolutely was. Theo, nice to talk to you. Thank you. As always, take care. Cheers. Theo's going to pop up with uh, with Nick Ferrari at breakfast. They'll be talking about more, also the expansion of Heathrow Airport and what it means for uh, for Brexit as well. But that, that sort of brings you up to date with uh, with the way it went. I had no idea actually. I thought when 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 Diane Abbott said that he was rich, he was a millionaire. I didn't realise that um, that Zach had inherited from his father out of a, an estate of 1.5 billion, uh, he got two to 300 million, because his father was the billionaire, Sir James Goldsmith. So in other words, I think that makes, if memory serves, I think that makes Zach the second richest person in the House of Commons. Well, he was, but, he, but the second richest person, two to 300 million pounds. But I don't think that was the issue. I think if you've got money like that in the family, it's not like you've just won it on the lottery. If it's always been money in the family, you don't think about it. You remember Sir James was the one who founded the anti-EU referendum party back in the 1990s. OK, and we'll take a look through the front pages of the, uh, the papers. Let you know exactly what you're waking up to. I think you know what you're waking up to today. You're waking up to the sad news that... Uh, Andrew Sachs has died at the age of 86. I have to be honest, I didn't know he was 86. I knew he'd been ill, uh, not for the past four years. I didn't realise that he'd been in a care home, he was in a wheelchair. And uh, his wife, Melody, absolutely, you know, it's been very traumatic. And I should imagine for the whole family as well. But uh, he passes on, but leaves us with a great legacy. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. 
And whether you're buying or selling, letting or renting, make sure you're listening to LBC on Thursday night from nine for the Property Hour. Missed the show last night? You can download the Property Hour podcast at lbc.co.uk, where you can also win an iPhone 6S, an Apple Watch Sport, and a monster portable battery pack, thanks to Direct Line Landlord Insurance. Find out more about their de facto five-star rated insurance by searching online for Direct Line Landlord. OK, right, the final uh, ten minutes of the programme. Let's have a look through the front pages of the papers. They're, they're sort of... They're, they're what... I call a mixed bag today. Some stories you think, is that really of any interest? And other stories you think, you can't really haven't got anything at all to run. So the Daily Mail are running with Farewell Manuel, uh, Andrew Sachs, so memorable as, a, as the hapless Spanish waiter. Uh, and so brilliant. And you can buy the box set and you can watch them and you can marvel at just how funny he was and how people bought into the character. They really believed he was a Spanish waiter. Uh, the official figures as well, revealing more arrived across Europe than ever before. Migrant numbers hit new records. An unprecedented 284,000 arrived in the 12 months to July. 82,000 them looking for work, which is another record. And what do you think the main thing is? Building. You see more people coming in from Eastern Europe who are going into building and decorating. I don't see, you know, there might be other things, but that would be the main one, I would have thought. Front page of The Sun this morning. Uh, top cop guilty in boobs bust up, but she just gets a written warning. And they just say, you mustn't, mustn't get your boobs out ever again. Uh, plus Carol, who says she loves chasing fellas. It's Carol Vorderman. She says she's finished with long-term relationships. She's much happier picking up occasionals. I think we have another name for that, don't we, as well, which I'm sure we won't go into this morning. But uh, she's also the face of a new website, actually, uh, and they're going to pay her 250000 So, in fact, she's actually done very well out of it, whereas uh, I don't think Ola Jordan's been offered anything at all, apart from, would you like to wear your underwear? You know, and that's about as bad as it gets. Uh, in the Daily Star, they've even gone for My Story by Carol of the Jungle. They're not buying into Ola Jordan because she was so deeply unpopular. Uh, Rihanna and Harry's AIDS test... Uh, I'm assuming Harry must have had AIDS tests before. If, if he's a sensible chap, he'll have had an AIDS test. It's only just a small little, um, you know, blood thing. It's very easy to do. Uh, plus, it's the weather. Uh, the Daily Star in keeping with the Daily Express love a good weather story. And they're now saying minus 10. Killer freeze set for the weekend. Although I've checked it. It doesn't say that at all in any of the things I've been looking at. But there we go. What do I know? I'm not a meteorologist. I'm not supposed to know these sort of things. Uh, I have an original copy of Colditz, says Poppy Lady. Uh, it's quite, this is the board game, which they're bringing back for the anniversary. Quite complex. Most board games are over £50. Really? Just shows that in my day, it was nine and eleven pence halfpenny. I think. We're trying to get hold of a copy of the game Bad Medicine. I could only find one second hand. And that was over 60 quid. I spent yesterday, she says, playing a variety of board games at a board games cafe. They're very popular, aren't they? Very, very popular. I think anything like that, people absolutely love. We were talking about autopilot. Alan says it adjusts with turns, speed and heights by turning dials in the centre. Flaps could be done up to 250 miles before landing and the undercarriage 25 before landing. Look at the reflection whilst coming into Heathrow, the reflection on the window of the building because it's on the glide path. Now we know. Sadly complicated, isn't it? Daily Express this morning. Uh, strictly everyone wants Len to think again. We don't want him to go, do we? We only want... Le oh, do you? You want Len to go? No, you don't. Oh, the producer would say, we're going to be boo, boo, boo. No, not of agreement. We don't want him to go. We want him to stay there. I mean, put it this way, the people that could be his replacement. Oh, no, thank you. Tony Beak, Anton Dubeck. Oh, no, we don't want that simpering, drippy person. No, thank you. Why must we leave the EU a record search in migrants, say the Express? Harry's day out with Rihanna. 
I mean, that's the extent of it, isn't it? Not interested in, you know, the, the picture is with a pop star. It's really not good enough, I'm afraid. But apparently it's his crusade in life to, uh, to help us sort out HIV. Although they've actually said that to actually do everything he wants, it's going to cost us about 77 million. Where that money's coming from, I've got no idea. Uh, most Muslims, according to the Times this morning, want full integration uh, with the British way of life. Why not? Why not? You would adapt to any country you go to, wouldn't you? I would have thought it made any difference at all. But um, Davis backs soft Brexit in blow to hardliners and Hollande quits the French presidential race because Francois Hollande has become, I think, the first in the country's modern era to quit after one term. He stunned France by announcing in a televised address that he would step down after his five-year stint Ends in May. He says, I'm aware today of the risk that going down a route that would not gather sufficient support would entail. So I've decided not to be a candidate in the presidential election. Front page of The uh, the Guardian, The Rolling Stones. Good God, you can't even believe they're still alive, can you? I mean, it must be like, you know, digging out as much stuff to keep them on the stage as possible. They must, they must travel with a small hospital, I would think. Uh, plus, police flooded with reports of football abuse. You've heard the... Uh, story which we're running on the news about one man who claims he was given £50,000 by a football club uh, not to say anything. So he's quite clearly decided he wants to say And it was only the other year. A top club in this country gave him £50,000, not to mention the abuse, which is not good. Uh, the picture on the front of The Guardian is another one of these ridiculous Christmas trees. It's a gilded Christmas tree at the Tate Britain Gallery. It's upside down, OK? It hangs upside down. It's got sort of roots and they've sprayed it gold. I mean, who comes up with this rubbish? Seriously, I must be from another planet or something. I look at it and I think, I mean, since, since when has that got anything to do? It's an upside down tree. And then John Lewis decided to jump on the bandwagon, as I pointed out earlier on, and start selling upside down Christmas trees last year. I mean, do you think people buy it because they think, oh, it makes us look really trendy? Or do you think they buy it because people are going to laugh? I mean, if you went past somebody's house and there was an upside-down Christmas tree, I'd be thinking they were barking mad. I'd be thinking major medication. Uh, Alarmed is also on the front page of The Guardian this morning. Uh, 350 people, incidentally, are those who have reported football abuse. It's obviously more rife than we ever imagined. It's obviously... There must be... I think the police said I've identified eight football coaches... Now, whether or not they're all alive or whether some of them are dead, I don't know. But they said they've identified eight football coaches for whom the complaints have come in about. So it must have been going on in football clubs, the length and breadth of the land. And it goes right to the top in the football clubs, some of the biggest football clubs. It makes you wonder where the implication is going to be next. And also, why don't the football associations seem to know what's going in in the game that they govern? Do they not know anything about football clubs? They not Have people not written to the FA before saying, this has happened at this club where I was, I was being trained? I'm now a lot older, but I remember exactly what happened. Why have they not done anything? Is everybody complicit in this? Is this the biggest cover-up since the BBC decided they didn't have any idea what Jimmy Savile was doing? Financial Times. Trump's turbo fuels global bond row. That's his uh, surging oil prices and a commitment by the incoming Trump administration to turbocharge economic growth, which has intensified. Treasury's led a global sell-off as investors grew increasingly anxious that Donald Trump's ambition to return the US to growth of 3 to 4% would mark the end of declining interest rates. And the Daily Telegraph. Uh, Boris, we must confront strong men of Russia. Uh, old-fashioned chic is back, according to the Telegraph. I don't know what old-fashioned chic is, but it looks like comfy armchairs, the sort that Parker Knoll might have made. Uh, plus the A-list Christmas tree road-tested. They always do it every year, don't they? Uh, they always road-test a Christmas tree. Um, 
More than 40 football agents are being investigated over corruption. This is, this, is, this is another story that's bubbled beneath the surface, which we touched on a short while ago. The, uh, they tried to explain it on a television programme, whereby they offer people to clubs and they pay to get them onto the squad, and then people have to pay for this and pay for that. It's all a little bit underhand. The, the game of football is looking slightly dangerous at the moment, apparently. Now we've actually got details of these cases from Greg Clark, the recently appointed FA chairman to the Commons Culture, Media and Sports Committee. They've got so many... Have you noticed there's so much pressure put on everybody now to investigate just about everything that goes on, including 40 football agents who might or might not have been complicit in, uh, in arranging these payments. Also, a national screening programme for Alzheimer's on the horizon... And British jihadists caught fighting with ISIL in Mosul could be sentenced to death in makeshift Iraqi courts that are trying up to 100 suspected terrorists a month. The vomiting bug case up 45% on last year. Uh, This is uh, amid fears that the NHS could become overrun in the lead-up to Christmas. Oh, you'll have people sitting in A&E all over Christmas, if necessary, trying to get tablets they probably don't need. And people actually sit in A&E, can you believe it, if they've got such a thing as a cold or a sniffle? They've got no idea, you know, why don't you just go to the chemist like everybody else? You know, taking up A&E, sitting there infecting everybody else. These people should be thrown out when they were. So what are you in for? I got a cold. Go to the de- go to the chemist. Get out. They should throw these people out immediately. These are time wasters. I'm sure the nurses in the NHS have got far better things to do. Thank you very much indeed for your company this morning. It's been uh, very entertaining. I think we managed to cram everything in. I think we managed to get through just about every single text and email uh, but uh, Dave says he bought his son Sabutio last Christmas. He says it's not changed since I was a kid. The characters still break when trod on. I know, and it hurts your feet, doesn't it? It's like, ah, ah, not so good. Uh, so we'll do it again Sunday morning when we look through the Sunday papers. Tomorrow, it's a case of, um, it's a case of the best of Steve Allen, which I'm sure we will, uh, we will enjoy. I don't know what's in it this week. You just have to, it's always a surprise to everybody. And, uh, and what was the other thing? Oh, there's something else, wasn't there? Oh, that's right. In conversation. I knew it was a good one. So this week you're going to get Ken Hom and the fabulous Joe Malone. And the programme is repeated on Sunday evening from nine o'clock. Plus, you can go to the LBC website. I urge you to go to the LBC website. You can find out uh, that last remaining VIP booth, which is for my show at the Hippodrome to raise money for Global's Make Some Noise. That's on the 12th of December. Go to lbc.co.uk. All the details are on there. And um, and there's all sorts of other exciting things. In fact, there's so much stuff on the website. I doubt you'll have enough time to get through it all. But if you download the app for your mobile or tablet, it means that we send you a free podcast every day where I'm slightly um, slightly rude. About, it's always truthful. We, we never tell fibs about celebrities. Well, we, we laughingly call them celebrities. Many of them are, are not. They're just people from reality shows, and they're not really proper celebrities, are they? And uh, so we do that tomorrow between five and seven, and then on Sunday morning. Sorry, and uh, we're getting more of that again. I keep getting these things which say cash on. It's coming to the wrong thing, but don't worry. We're ahead of it. We're ahead of it. Have yourself a great weekend. Wrap up warm. Be nice. And you can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are, as indeed you know already. Leading Britain's conversation at 10, it's James O'Brien. But right now, for breakfast, Nick Ferrari. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.